what's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 120, because I forgot to look it up. This is Dave. This is Barry. This is Ethan, and the only reason I'm here is because my arm is currently trapped under a boulder. Uh, <laughs> wow, well played, sir. Well played. Yes. Uh, this is episode 127, since I had to cheat and look it up on the website. Um, well, it's okay. We, mi- we, we missed a week, so... Yes, you know, yes, and... Out of sorts. Everyone's going to pay for it this week with a nice long episode. We're going to have fun with this. I'm having. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure our listeners love wording it that way. You're going to pay for missing last week. We're going to make you pay for that. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> Anyhow, let's talk about what we watched over the past week or two or whatever. Ethan, do you want to kick us off? Why not? All right. Uh, I've got a good one to start it off with. Um, I finally got the chance to watch Trash Humpers. Um, <laughs> finally. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I watched it with some friends, actually. Are they still they, friends? Uh, yeah. Well, the thing is, they. Uh, my friend texted me. He's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm just watching a movie." And he's like, "What movie?" I'm like, "Trash Humpers." And he's like, "Okay." And they, some friends came over to my uh, room and we watched it together. Nice. They, 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 they enjoyed it. So. Well, there you go. Of course, they were a little, uh, you know. Altered. But still. Yeah. A great time was had by all. And personally, I, I quite like the film. I think it's. Uh, the only one of Harmony Corinne's uh, successive films that actually lives up to Gummo in some f- shape or form. I think it's both terrifying and hilarious at the same time. And I think it's like a better found footage horror movie than like Paranormal Activity. And it's almost on the same level as Blair Witch even. So, yeah, I, I quite liked it. Well, there you go. Okay. I'll well, take your word for it, sir. Yes, good. You saw it. You saw it, so I don't have to. Thank you, sir. Okay, uh, next I watched uh, My Son, My Son, What Have You Done? Okay. Which I thought, honestly, I thought was almost like bad lieutenant levels of funny, to be honest. I thought it was pretty hilarious. I, I don't, I just think maybe why they got this crappy reception is because people actually viewed it as like this genuine look at insanity, and it kind of is, but for the most part, I thought it was pretty funny. Like, uh, all the stuff with the ostriches or the flamingos or the eagles and drag, as he refers to, yeah. refers to them. That was good stuff. Michael Shannon. Love that guy so much. So much. He almost has kind of like a Kinski presence to him in a way. I just, yeah, love that dude. Um, I watched uh, Night on Earth, which was the only Jarmish film I hadn't seen. And while I, I liked it, you know, um, I'd say it's probably one of his lesser films. I think it felt weirdly mainstream at times. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but still a good movie. Roberto Benigni, as always. Um, I watched Michelangelo Antonioni's Zabriskie Point. I know that this movie is probably maybe his least critically uh, well-received film, but for some reason it was the one I was most interested in next uh, seeing. Hmm. And I can see why it kind of didn't get a good reception, but as always, his direction is awesome. And though I think maybe my judgment of the film is a little clouded by there's this uh, sequence at the end where it's like five to ten minutes straight of just stuff blowing up. And it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen in a movie. No (laughs) hyperbole at all. And the second half of it is set to a Pink Floyd song, and it just like blew my mind out of my head. I... So yeah, I think that may have affected my judgment of the rest of the movie, but still, good. Uh, next, I watched uh, The Doom Generation, that Greg Araki movie. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, years ago. Years, I saw it when it first came yeah. out. Ebert, I think Ebert gave it zero stars when it came out. It sounds about um, right, yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's chaotic, stupid, vulgar, but I, I, I kind of liked it. I don't know. I like have no actual reason to defend it. It's weird, but I liked it. It's one of those pulp, uh, post-pulp fiction movies like SFW and uh, Love in a 45. And, you know, a lot of those like, well, if Quentin Tarantino can do it. So, like, a lot of these young guys went out and did it. Um, you know, it's been so long since I've seen it. I can honestly say I didn't like the film. But I do see its value in that kind of that, that post-Tarantino genre. You know, that young, hip, very, very like, exclamation point, underline, highlight the word in bold caps, hip with uh, you know, with 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 kind of a garage band soundtrack and lots of anarchy and Rose McGowan, I love anything Rose McGowan does. So. Well, it's kind of going for the Godard thing, like Tarantino. If you you know, if you look at McGowan's haircut, obviously Anna Karina. So. Yep. 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 Um, you think Greg Araki knew though? You think Greg Araki knew who Anna Karina is, or he seems like a pretty big <laughs> cinephile. cinephile. I, I I don't know the guy personally. Maybe one day we'll be friends. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, next, oh, I saw Catfish on Friday. Ah. Um, and in fact, let me get my ticket stuff right here. I did pay thirteen fifty. Good man. Holy Good crap! Man. Was it worth thirteen um, fifty? See, here's the thing: <laughs> the whole twist of the movie, it's not a big deal. Like. Probably like it would be one of your – if like someone asked you to guess a twist, it would be like one of the first five things you'd guess. Sure. I, like I was expecting it to be like she was an alien or something or a <laughs> werewolf. And it, and it's just like kind of like, oh, that's that's it. That makes sense. And uh, But the thing is once you look past the twist, it's a really – it's a very interesting movie. I think it's very well worth seeing. Though the whole like I – the advertising, it's like the best – Hitchcock film, the Hitchcock made. I, I can't understand that, but very interesting and worthwhile movie. That's actually kind of profound in this day and age. So yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. Okay. But cool. the whole like, don't let anybody tell you what it is. It's it's not it's, not that big a deal. Um. Oh, I finally saw um Pusher. You know that Pusher trilogy. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um, it was pretty good. It's like a Danish, Danish mean streets, basically very gritty, uh, very naturalistic. I'm, I'm interested to see the rest of them because it kind of, I was expecting it just to be kind of a closed ended film, but it actually kind of sets up a sequel at the end. So should be interesting to see the rest of those. And that was pretty much all I watched this week. Okay. So Barry, what have you been watching, sir? Um, I watched Neil LeBute's remake of Death at a Funeral, which is neither a disaster nor an essential film. Um, the The cast couldn't be better, and in fact, they're 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 absolutely wonderful. The problem is, is that a lot of the British humor that they keep intact really doesn't work for this particular cast. Um, and there's just moments that work so much better than the original film. And and frankly, even if there wasn't an original film, this still feels kind of like a middle of the road sort of movie. It's it's better than like the average Tyler Perry farce, but it's still not on on like the level of a truly truly great American comedy. Um, I think one of the problems with this movie is Tracy Morgan. Um, what? I thought he was terrible <laughs> in this film. Just terrible. Uh, um, every time he had a scene, every time, every time his character was the focus, I thought the movie just kind of went down a few notches. I just thought he was so obnoxious, and his comic innovations just didn't really suit this 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 role or this performance. Um, some of the better actors, like like uh, I thought Chris Rock did much better as did um, 
Oh, Zoe Saldana was very good. James Marsden, of course, got to go for the comedy goal because he had the Alan Tudyk role from the original, and I thought he did a fine job with what he did. So it's it's you know it's not like an embarrassment. It's not a terrible film, but it's it's definitely you know a pale remake of the original film. Um, also saw Let, Let, uh, Never Let Me Go, which just just opened in Denver, which uh, which I really liked. Um, the the the, the abbreviated review is that it's it's a beautiful film and it's a very powerful film, but it's also incredibly sad and incredibly lo- slow paced, which I think is going to turn off a lot of people. I think it's a very good film, and I like that it takes the same approach to sci-fi that Gattaca did, you know, making science fiction very emotional and very human, and really downplaying visual effects and really focusing on the science of the idea as opposed to the fiction. So there's no special effects in the film, even though it does present a really great uh, sci-fi premise. Um, I saw the film that Dave uh, insists is the worst film of the year, uh, maybe one of the worst films of all time, When in Rome, with with Kristen Bell. And to that, Dave, uh, as I told you earlier in this week, um, if this were a poker game, I would see your When in Rome and raise you the Tooth Fairy, which I think is a far, far worse film. And don't get me wrong, I'm not defending When in Rome. When in Rome is a <laughs> stupid film. It is a bad film. It wastes a wonderful it, it's collection the pers- of actors. It's the personification of wasted opportunity, I think. But I don't think every scene in the movie was a waste, though. Um, as I told you, there was, a, there was that scene in a restaurant where all the lights are off. I thought that was a very nice comic touch. And even though it's For not... For 30 seconds that it worked, and then it went stupid, it's, though. It's Again, longer it's, than 30 seconds. It's longer than 30 seconds. And even though it's his performance is not good. I did enjoy John Hader playing Chris Angel. Essentially, I thought that was you know again like not that funny, but still still not a bad idea. And the fact that Pedro kept showing up with him, literally Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite, was kind of morbidly amusing. Although it kind of showed how desperate the film ultimately was at that point, but. Uh, yeah, definitely a bad, bad vehicle for Kristen Bell. And can we just like retire Josh Jamal? Can we officially Please. just like just like say, okay, you're done, man. You're married to Fergie. You're good, man. You're totally oh. good. You don't need anything else Ugh. in this life, dude. Um, also saw the Losers, which definitely lived up to its title. And I totally agree with Ethan. Like, <laughs> it was nothing sadder than watching Jason Patrick, one of my favorite actors of the '90s, and certainly one of my favorite actors, uh, completely, literally walking through a role that is totally beneath him. <laughs> like talk about like like you could just feel the contempt he has for the project he had it just just kind of a one of the ugliest performances of the year just because frankly you could tell he could not wait to get off the set um we'll talk about Shyamalan's devil in a little bit uh saw a film that came out last year to very 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 little hype and didn't really deserve much hype the the David Tui film that he wrote and directed called The Perfect Getaway with Steve Zahn and Mila Jovovich the movie hinges on a gigantic twist in the third act and I gotta admit it's a really good twist but the movie builds up to it by constantly reminding us that A the main character is a screenwriter and B constantly talking about how a lot of plots hinge on last minute twists so the film is completely full of itself completely self-satisfied and completely self-referential and totally David Toohey just completely you know making a movie that's essentially a screenplay exercise it's supposedly set in Hawaii but even though it was obviously filmed in Mexico or somewhere else Jamovich and Steve Zahn are really good in this movie they, they're they're cast as this nerdy couple and they're really very good and I gotta say the twist when it comes is great but the movie makes two huge tw- uh, two gigantic mistakes and one is that once the twist is revealed the movie spends about 15 minutes doing this extended flashback basically filling in all the blanks and the flashback is done in this blue and white tinge for some reason and then the movie goes on for about 20 more minutes as a really awful action movie like the last the last 15 or so minutes are so stupid and so bad um, which is a shame because I think this could have been a really good movie but it's not and then finally a uh, movie I finally crossed off my list of shame I finally got to see Mulish Foreman's film uh, The People vs. Larry Flint which is a fine film um, 
Woody Harrelson is incredible in this film. It's uh, it's one of these movies that you know, even despite the fact that it's Woody, you just you forget who you're watching about five minutes into the film. He's extraordinary in this film. It's uh, it's not a perfect movie. The big flaw that the movie makes is at one point Larry Flint goes to prison for 25 years, and then in the next scene he's out, and they never explain how he got out. And I was going to say, sorry, the yep. when I saw the movie, I for the first time I was so confused by that. Yes. Yeah, and I totally agree. I mean, I think what we're supposed to, you know, I mean, the movie definitely shows that there's a pattern that, that Flynn goes into jail and that his lawyer begrudgingly gets him out of jail. But but you're totally right because they never explain how the heck that happened. And this is a big deal. I mean, there's a lot of build up to it. They, they show him in the prison garb going into prison. You know, they, they really make it like, okay, this is going to be a portion of the film. But then they just cut to him in a limo, like seemingly, what, years, months later. They never explain that. And I mean, just a just a simple title card could have could have solved that problem. But I'm with you, even. I thought that was ter- tremendously confusing, but uh, but aside from that, I mean, a lot of really great scenes, incredible performances. It's amazing to think this was Edward Norton's second movie after Primal Fear, and he is just fantastic. It's really hard for me, other than like the Italian job, to think of a bad Edward Norton performance. But uh, yeah, uh, the people versus versus Larry Flynn is a great film. I think I don't think it was quite the best picture of the year, like a lot of people said it was, but it is an important film and definitely a very moving uh, movie about, uh, of course, freedom of speech. So I like. I the remember film. I remember reading how it was like a big considered like a big shoe in an Oscar time but then when they were doing the campaigning the actual Larry Flint came out and was like campaigning with the movie and he basically killed the movie's chances right right no that's completely true and a lot of people avoided the film because he's such a charmer though there, there's that and a lot of people avoided the movie because they thought it was going to be like Boogie Nights or more specifically they thought the film was going to be really explicit and it really isn't there is some nudity no question but there's no hardcore footage I never it definitely felt like the movie never went over the line or and you know I think it certainly went as far as it did and Foreman you know the guy is very chaste he's definitely not one of these filmmakers to you know to go like the Paul Verhoeven route and it's a really classy film I think and it's a really great uh, great courtroom drama but yeah not enough people saw it cool that's it for me that's it for you all right get to my long arse list now um been cranking through yield Oliver Stone collection some more and I think I'm taking a little bit of a break from him now because I've kind of mainlined him enough <laughs> over the past mainlined couple of weeks. Kind of essentially. Well, I, I got through, I finished J- talk radio, watched JFK, Any Given Sunday, Born on the Fourth of July, The Doors, and Nixon. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a lot That's to a, get through. It's, and a lot of those are like three hours long. So yeah, Nixon, like, well, Nixon and JFK are three hours. Nixon's yeah. way long, yeah. But it, uh, I guess I'll talk briefly about all of them. Talk radio, I agree. It's an amazing film. Um, I... I didn't know that this was based on a true story. That's the Ellen Berg story, yep. So I, even though I knew it was probably coming, it was still a bit of a shock. And still, it's a really powerful film and really good. Yeah. Um, really dug I love how I'm, I'm loving all these Oliver Stone films that no one saw. I loved that. I loved Salvador. Yeah, Salvador's yeah. flipping awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, then let's move on to Borthon on the Fourth of July with, with Sir Tom Cruise. Uh, he's pretty darn good in it. Yes, he's excellent in that film, I think. Here, here's the thing that, that's really intriguing about Oliver Stone. Regardless of whether you agree with his politics or not, he makes an incredibly compelling film and a compelling story that draws you in and, 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 and finds a way to, to help you, even if you can't completely relate to that character. From a life perspective, he brings you a point of reference to be able to relate and sympathize with those characters for the most part. And I think this was a, a, a beautiful case of that. Oh, yeah. Well, probably, just, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I would say that's probably my favorite non-chaotic Oliver Stone movie. <laughs> sure. Yeah.
Yeah, and this is before like he became so controversial. I mean, it really wasn't until JFK that people were like, uh, I don't know if I agree with you, Mr. Stone, but but Born on the Fourth of July, I think a pretty straightforward film. It is. It is. It, it presents one side of the argument, but that's fine because it was a side that really hadn't been presented all that well, I guess and you it, could and say. And it's Oliver Stone's side. I mean, you know, this guy who went to war, saw what happened, came back and said, screw this, and he started to protest the, the war that he had just fought in. Although you can see shades of that in Platoon as well. Definitely. Very easily. And even Salvador. You can, you can see the shade. You know, it was much more subtle his where he stood on it. But this is just pretty blatant, but it was still incredibly powerful and very well done. It was the first time Cruz was up for an Academy Award, and I thought he more than deserved it. Oh, yeah. Very rightfully so. Uh, we'll move into JFK. I, again, you know, facts or not, that was an incredibly well-made film. Yeah, this is my favorite Stone film. One of my favorite films of the 90s, in fact. It, it really draws, yeah, it really draws you in in a heartbeat and brings you the, 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 the personal side of that story. And really makes you question things, regardless of whether what he's saying is true or not. It makes you question. And exactly, it's good that we question. You know, it's, yeah. we shouldn't take this stuff on blind faith because the magic bullet theory is asinine. And we're, you know, and, and the movie presents it the Especially way it is. Especially they break down the, the magic bullet. This is what it would have to do. You're like, oh, dude, it's really? ridiculous. <laughs> it's freaking ridiculous. And that that picture of Lee Harvey Oswald on the cover of I think Life magazine. I mean, that's that's the real deal. I mean, we know that that's a superimposed head. That's not him on the cover. I mean, and, you know, the movie points out a lot of stuff that people have been really uncomfortable with and of course not all of it's real but uh, I yeah. think the film's pop art I mean you got all these fantastic amazing movie stars in the movie for like what in some cases like like John Candy's in it for like five minutes and he's terrific <laughs> he's Lara Cat Lara Cat's yes. great that's right Lara <laughs> 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 yeah no I, I love it Kevin Bacon's cameo is this is the role that really brought Kevin Bacon back because he was uh, his career was I mean, even he said that, like, you know, the phones were not ringing. He did JFK, and after JFK, all of a sudden, he got, like, you know, Apollo 13, and all this, like, all of a sudden, his career was hot again, and he really thanked Stone for putting him in a role that, I mean, as a gay, imprisoned hustler, I mean, it was, like, the last <laughs> thing everybody expected him, and, he, and he's terrific in the film. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, let's move on. Let's see. Let's go to Nixon, I guess, which, again, you know, I, I heard an interview with Oliver Stone where he said, you know, the film's Nixon W. found a way for him to sympathize with characters and men who he absolutely hated and despised. And, you know, it's like he went out of his way to find the human side of Nixon in this film, yeah. which was fascinating. Um, don't like the guy much still, but it's it was just an it was a great watch. You know, I, I wouldn't tell anyone not to watch any of these movies. And Nixon, I thought, I've always struggled with whether Nixon or Braveheart was the best film of its year, but uh, yeah, I love Nixon. I love... Uh, Hopkins' work. I love Joan Allen as Pat Nixon and, and Ed Harris. I mean, just great performances, great scenes. Sorvino. Uh, yeah. Sorvino. Sorvi- uh, yes, amazing as Kissinger. Thank you. Yes. Amazing yeah. as Henry Kissinger. You're absolutely right. He should have been up for an Academy Award for that film. That was kind of disturbing, but yes, very, very good. Um, On to the movie that I hated and despised. That would be The Doors. Why'd you hate The Doors? Half the way oh. move, halfway through the movie, I'm like, Morrison, would you just kill yourself? You're wasting my time. Well, it's not a likable character, but it's no, a good not at film. All. It, it was well, and that's the thing. It's the character himself. It wasn't the movie was made poorly. Val Kilmer was outstanding as Jim Morrison. I think he really, you know, he he disappeared into that role. Yeah. I think you can almost ask the question: Did he ever come back out of it? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, but, but, but come on, he played Doc Holliday and Elvis well, subsequently. This I mean, he's, true, he's a brilliant true. actor. He's an amazing actor. He's wonderful in it. Meg Ryan's good in it. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of good parts. Billy in it. Idol. <laughs> 
Wow, yeah, Kyle MacLachlan. All right, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. it's an amazing yeah. cast. Yeah, it, it was a good cast. It was a good film. I just didn't care about the character at all. I was like, just kick well, off yeah. Already, I mean, obviously, we're not supposed to like it, but don't you think it would have been dishonest if it was like Jim Morrison is a is a hero poet? Absolutely. I just don't know that I needed to watch the movie. <laughs> don't you feel now you've seen like a? Def- I mean, let's face it, this is probably going to be the definitive movie about Jim Morrison. I mean, don't you think this is? I never cared know, about the Doors in the first place. You never thought they're they're really great. You never well, liked the Doors. Okay, but yeah, they're yeah. no they're no. Was it John no, Colton? Jim, no, Jonathan Colton. That's right. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, now. No, they're, they're they're. I mean, they had good stuff, but I just you know, I was like, I just don't care. Okay. I really didn't. Okay. And I don't know why. Just I didn't. Um, I did revisit a movie. I did, I went on record as saying I hated being any given Sunday, and I really liked it a lot more the second time around. Hmm. Uh, it's gritty. It's in your face, but it's. Yeah, it's kind of like Ethan's talking about the chaotic Oliver Stone yeah, movie. Yeah, but it's yeah. really well done. Jamie Foxx is great in it. He is, yeah. He's really great in it. Cameron film, Diaz, yeah. I mean, this was the departure role for her, really. You know, One of the, the big the, ones. The, co- yeah. the, the stone cold, yeah. Well, yeah. she did this the same year as being John Malkovich. And I think it was the first time people were like, wow, she's actually a character actor. She's not just the cute thing from The Mask. Yes, but that was really, really good. I really enjoyed that. Um, I think that's it for the, 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 the stone, stone collection. <laughs> yes. Uh, finally got the wife to watch Pulp Fiction. Which was a magical experience. She really enjoyed it. <laughs> magical um, experience. Yeah, it, it was Bring funny. Bring on the gym. She couldn't stop laughing when that happened. As soon as they brought him out, she's like, oh no. <laughs> and she just couldn't stop laughing. It was great. She's like, I now understand why uh, Sam Jackson is known as such a bad man because of this movie. Sure. And oddly enough, we watched a Man vs. Food episode the next night, which had the, um, the, the Mother Futcher ice cream sh- I, I, shake, which is a coffee cake and pecan shake. But at one point he drops the line, you know what shakes mine? The one that says bad mother Futcher on it. And she's like, you know, yesterday I wouldn't have gotten that. <laughs> so, wow. Yes. Pulp Fiction, it, it just, you know, it It's a gift people. that keeps on giving. It is. Yes, yeah. yes. But it really is kind of astounding just how many great actors are in that film. Yeah. From every... And great scenes, person. great yeah. even the little scenes. I mean, I love all the stuff like even with like Eric Stoltz and and of course Christopher Walken's jewel of a scene. And <laughs> She's like, oh no, 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 oh yep, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you know that movie just God, it, like not only did it like resurrect so many careers, but it showed that like John Travolta and Uma Thurman and Bruce Willis were so much better than the movies that they had been done up to that point. Absolutely, um, I will say it is. Um, it's kind of a toss-up for me right now whether I like uh, Pulp Fiction or Inglorious Bastards better. But I there's still, there's still a part of me that prefers Jackie Brown to both them, but hmm. I don't mind Jackie Brown. I need to see Jackie Brown again. I saw it the day it opened and I admired it, but I didn't like it. I need to see that film again. Fair enough. That it was too long, too long, <laughs> lengthy, <laughs> overrated, <laughs> overrated. Exactly. There it is. Exactly. There it comes back. Uh, let's see. I got two left, and then the TV shows. Holy crap! Um, saw Ride with the Devil finally this morning with the Ang Lee film. Yeah. Uh, such a um, Jeffrey Wright is so awesome in that movie. Yeah. I know Skeet Ulrich and and you know and and Spidey, Tobey Maguire, or whatever. Spidey. <laughs> Not <laughs> anymore. Now it's Andrew Garfield. There you go. Got yeah. to update your Spidey <sighs> reference. And can I? I started watching Red Riding. Mm-hmm. He is too good for Spider Man. I'll just go on record and say that right now. Oh yeah, much, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but Ride with the Devil is it was a fascinating film. It was a Civil War film from a, done from a perspective you really don't see that often. Mm-hmm. Done from the Confederate side. Who knew Jewel Ad could act that well? Jewel is a good actress. Yeah, yeah, really good all over the place. Just really amazing. I got it's the Criterion Blu-ray I watched, watched and it is. 
gorgeous. Yeah. The cinematography just pops like crazy. It's beautiful what we're catching. You're right about Jeffrey Wright, though. I appreciate you bringing him up because uh, he's just one of these actors. Like, it's it's amazing this guy has never, I don't know, had his own film and never crossed over, never been up for the Academy uh, Award. What about Basquiat? Basquiat's fantastic, but like everybody paid most attention to to David Bowie as as Andy oh, yeah. Warhol, you know. And, and I love Bowie in that film, but no, you're absolutely right. It's it's Wright's movie, and it really didn't like launch his career like it should have. And he's been stuck in character movie roles forever, and you know, for better or for worse, he's a fine actor. And he is. Yeah, I really great. appreciated that film in general. And then finally, um, last movie watched Easy A. Since we didn't do an episode last week, I couldn't talk about it. Um, this is, I think, on par with Mean Girls very easily. Uh, it, it's not as good as Mean Girls in that some of the characterizations and hyperbole are a bit overboard. They aren't even all the way across the board, kind of like Mean Girls did. However, Emma Stone is infinitely more talented than Lindsay Lohan. Really? I think so. I thought she was great in this movie. For me, jury's still out. I, I need to see Easy A, obviously. I thought she was great in it. She, she, she really had a lot of heart to it, and it's not an easy role to pull off because she had to go a lot of different places emotionally in the film, and I think she did a great job with it. Cool. And... Stanley Tucci and Patricia Clarkson play the simultaneously most awesome and horrifying parents on the face of the earth. Uh, the best scene, one of the, my favorite scenes, is they've adopted a, a, a black kid. And he's like, you know, well, son, you know it runs in the family. You're talented. He's like, I'm adopted. And Stanley Tucci's like, God, no, who told him? Who told him? We were going to wait till you were older and you could understand it. You know, just going nuts. It's great. A lot of fun. So Easy A is actually a good movie. I've, yes. I've read good reviews, too. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the three-season finale... Premieres, whatever. Uh, Chuck, lots of fun still. Uh, it, 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 you could make an argument that's a little bit slow, but I think it was a blast. Dolph Lundgren's in it. Nice. And he does bust out the Rocky Four line, I must break you. Oh, cool. It's cool. great. Uh, Glee, I'm sorry, Barry. Ah, uh, and uh, Glee. Yeah. Um, I freaking hate that show. Yeah, I don't know how this show's going to last a second season. Like, I saw like, the Sue me. Sylvester Madonna episode last night. I wanted I'm to so just sorry. do terrible things to my eyeballs with a fork. Fair enough. Oh, wait till you see uh, Coach Beast this season. Yeah. Have you seen this thing, Ethan? Have you seen Glee? Uh, I I watched the first half of the first season. I enjoyed it, but I heard the second half was really bad. It goes downhill. I never... It goes even further downhill? Did you see the Olivia Newton-John episode yet? (sighs) Julia threw it on, and I just... I left. Don't. I'm like, I can't can't do it. Just don't. Just don't. don't. Okay. Don't. (laughs) And then finally, Supernatural's back. I have no idea where they're going with the series, but it's kind of fun seeing that show back on the air again. And I think that's enough. That's because, you know, it's the longer we're going, the shorter I'm saying anything about anything. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about what hit theaters this past weekend. <clears throat> well, <laughs> he's back, Oliver Stone, with Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, starring Shia, and also the Academy Award winner of the first film, Michael Douglas, in a really great cast. The Beef. And then a cast of owls in a movie that Zack Snyder himself, I love this, this is a quote, guys, I'm not making this up, he described this film as Avatar with owls. <laughs> that is that be, supposed to be good? I'm just That asking. would be The Legend of the Guardians. Uh, what is it? The, the Owls, owls of, of Gahul. Oh, and then yeah. finally, a film that Dave saw, uh, which is you again, with another film, a new a new starring vehicle with Kristen Bell, although she's got a really good supporting cast in that film. We'll yes. talk about those in a second. In limited release, you've got Ryan Reynolds in Buried. Um, Enter the Void, the new film by Gaspar Noe. I really want to see this. Have you seen yes. it yet? I was going to go to New York this weekend. Then I looked at my bank account and I was like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> not so much. Yeah, I'm dying. I really do want to see this. The reviews have me completely curious and love it or hate it. It doesn't sound like anything else out there. So, um, 
James Franco is Allen Ginsberg. I never thought I'd say that in the film Howl, um, which I've heard bad film, great performance. Um, movie I've heard bad film, bad film. The Virginity Hit, produced by Will Ferrell. Oh, I was gonna say. Speaking of that, they had a in the cafeteria in my school. They had a big like billboard or not billboard. I'm an idiot here, but a big ad for it saying "Still a Virgin, call this number." I'm like, kind of inappropriate. Did you call the number just to see what it was? I wouldn't need to. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, and finally, it's getting a lot of acclaim, even though it. it I don't know how this is going to be. Waiting for Superman, which is a documentary about the educational school system and the way we must save the children. What is isn't No Child Left Behind? Sorry, this is like No Child Left Behind the movie, apparently. Oh wow! And it like apparently it opens up with really obvious insights, and then at the very end it gets to be very preachy and angry, and that's what I've heard. People walk out very angry, and oh, we must do something. Okay then. So, all right, who wants to go first? We've got Wall Street and you again. All right, we'll start with Wall Street. I mean, okay. Ethan, what do you think of Wall Street? Um, th- there are individual things I liked about the movie. Like, I love that they used uh, David Byrne and Brian Eno's Everything That Happens Will Happen Today as the, like, official soundtrack of the movie, because mm-hmm. I love that album, one of my favorite albums of the last few years. And I uh, thought Michael Douglas was great. I thought uh, Josh Brolin was awesome. Um, the Boof was good, even. But just <laughs> at the end of the day, I was not satisfied with the movie. Okay. Well, let me let me jump right on that because uh, I love this film. I really love the film, and I just liked it so much more than you. But I completely agree. The ending, Stone drops the ball. The original had an ending that was very tough and very abrupt, and it seems like he doesn't know how to wrap this movie up. There's like seven endings, if, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and I think in minor spoiler territory, I think the ending that Stone wanted, the, the proper cynical ending is where Shia LaBeouf comes into the apartment, and the only thing that's left is the frame thing that... You know, that Gecko leaves for him. I think that's how Stone really wanted this film to end. And I think that's the proper ending for the movie. And I think that would have tied everything together. But then the movie kept going for at least 20 more minutes. And it finally settled for that scene on the street um, that just felt totally Hollywood and completely and incorrect. The end credits, ridiculous. Yes, like what? What it was like a family get together? Like it, like you know. And I understand, you know, maybe you need a happier ending for for these troubled times. But but I think Stone is forgetting something really important here. Gordon Gecko is the bad guy. In fact, he's the devil. This is a Faustinian tale. Gordon Gecko has always been the devil. Um, so having him come at a family picnic at the end of the movie, sorry, spoiler, but it feels completely wrong. Um, but, you know, aside from that, I really love this film. I thought it was uh, just exhilarating. I love, the, uh, again, what Stone does, just, just making, you know, the, the stockbroker world very uh, just energized and, and thrilling to just watch, even if you don't know what's going on all the time, and I certainly didn't. But, I mean, you know, the bottom line, like the first film, it's a morality tale. And I think as a morality tale, was great. I really did wonder, like, if Gordon Gecko was indeed going legit or whether he was going to screw everybody over. Um, yeah, I love the music. Uh, and Labeef, my God, like he just, just very simply, just by by just dialing it down, by underplaying every scene, and just allowing the actors around him to, you know, to immerse him in the, um, in the ensemble cast. I think this is his best performance by well, far. I was gonna say, I think he was really good in the movie, but just he looks still so young. Like whenever he was next to Michael Douglas or Josh Brolin, it looked like Take Your Kid to Work Day. <laughs> but I think it works because you know he is in out he's he's out of his element like a lot of these young whippersnappers on Wall Street and I think that I think that really works because I always feel the same way whenever I see Charlie Sheen on the first film too I always think eh, he's speaking of that his cameo God that guy's brutal I one love of, that he cameo has to be one of the five worst actors working today Oh he was 
I loved brutal. it. Oh, I love that they found a way to bring him back, and I love that well, they brought I like, up Anakin like Steel. And... But just like he looked like he was about to burst into laughter, like whenever he was on screen. <laughs> oh, he looked very man. amused to be to be in a Wall Street sequel, but. No, I didn't mind that so much. I, in fact, I mean, maybe maybe the weakest performance in the movie. I thought Kerry Mulligan was great. I thought Frank Langella, honestly, I think one of the best performances I've seen by a supporting actor all year. I loved his work. Brolin, I thought was very suave and sinister. And uh, Eli Wallach, 94 yeah. years old, fantastic, steals all of his scene. The guy's 90 freaking four years old. Um, so, you know, I, I totally agree with you, Ethan. I think the ending, I don't think it ruins the movie, but I think it's a seriously, seriously flawed ending. A bit of my problem, too, is that I think, like I said, I how I missed the chaotic Oliver Stone, but I thought a lot of the visual flourishes in the movie were either really cheesy or kind of ugly looking, to be honest. Hmm. And it was just kind of like, uh... And I just thought, like, this movie isn't even really about Gordon Gecko. I think that was my big problem. It just didn't feel like it was about him. It was more about the beef. And I'm like... No, I'm here to see Gecko. You know, but. I gotta, I gotta disagree. Only because I think it does what the first film does. I think Gordon Gecko is one of these characters like Hannibal Lecter, where you don't want to overuse him. And I think the film really is truly about Gecko. But I think you know it's one of these things where they use him sparingly, which I think is very, very effective. Um, because I mean, you know, on one hand, it is this morality tale of like, you know, is the beef gonna give in to this this Wall Street corruption and greed? And I think they kind of play that with like Gecko seduces him you know, verbally, verbally. And it's, it's this whole question of like, you know, does, does Gecko actually have really good, um, intonations, really good, um, um, you know, uh, intentions rather with, uh, with the Carrie Mulligan character, or is he, you know, ultimately going to bring everybody down to his level? And, and I don't know. I, I, I thought there was enough of him in the movie. Um, it was odd that like the first 20 minutes weren't even about him, but I mean, I think, you know, kind of like Darth Vader, I think whenever people are talking about the character, the character is still so highly anticipated that whenever he did have those scenes, you know, they, they really did like bring the film to life. And I loved, uh, I loved all the, all the LaBeef Douglas scenes that they really crackled. Well, again, I don't think it's like a bad movie necessarily, but just during the entirety of the thing, I was thinking, God, I wish I was watching Enter the Void instead. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Well, I, oh, yeah, I, I love Wall Street too, but I, in fact, it's probably going to be one of my favorite films of the year, but I, but I do agree with you. The ending is, is certainly flawed and I think a bit of a mistake. Um, Dave, what'd you think of you again? You know, after the train wreck that was... When in Rome. When in Rome, I, I was I was I was scared. I'll be this really is the honest. same studio too, so you're a brave man and go back I know. for more. I know. The only reason I went was because the, the screening was canceled and then it got put back on again, and I didn't have anything to watch this week. And the movie I was going to see, I'll, I'll end up seeing. Was it? Uh, it's a funny kind of story. I still got a couple weeks to see that, so yep. I'll wait. Um, just quick background: I love Kristen Bell. She's great in Veronica Mars. She made Heroes season two somewhat watchable. And she was even great in you know forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. So to have the complete disappointment that was one in Rome, I was really scared for take two of that. It wasn't the case. Um, I will say I'm not the demographic. Is that probably the best way? If I had a uterus, I would have loved the movie a lot more. I think. Um, this is a chick flick. Poster. Yes. Yes. Totally. Totally. It's not super duper painful, but she plays you know the super geeky nerdy girl in high school, acne, glasses, braces, the whole nine, and she's tortured in high school by. She looks like Megan Fox, but except she can actually kind of act and emote some. Probably the best way. I don't even remember what her name is. I, you know, you'd think I'd look it up, but oh well. It's, it's like okay. life. Anyway. And her mom, Kristen Bell's mom, is trying to, you know, everyone needs a second chance and blah, 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 blah. And who and, plays the mom? Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Nice. Sorry, yes. And it turns out that the the 
tour mentor in high school's aunt comes to town played by Sigourney Weaver, and it turns wow. out they're rivals. So it's this estrogen-soaked, you know, revenge fest and wacky comedy. And, Do you get cat fights? Um, yes, in a pool, no less. In any any hair pulling? I'm a big fan of that on film. No, but there is food thrown. <laughs> uh, there, there's plenty of stuff going on. <laughs> God, it's like, funny. Did you guys see the trailer for The Fighter? There yes. was a brief like hair pulling scene there. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, so stoked. Opening day. <laughs> <laughs> I just showed my students Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, which is like, you know, at least 15 minutes of solid hair pulling. So there I, you go. Yeah. I know what you mean. Anyway, it's, it's honestly, this is the studio's push to try to get Kristen Bell in that Julia Roberts type of role. I think for the most part, it was somewhat successful. Uh, this is the kind of movie that I told my mom she should go see because it's incredibly clean. Uh, it's PG, and I was talking with one of my buddies afterwards. I'm like, did they swear once in this movie? He's like, not a once, which is kind of interesting for any kind of studio release these days. But it was it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't know that I need to see it again, but if you get dragged to it with your significant other, you you once again, you won't want to kill yourself. You, you'll have a bit of a good time. There, were some, parts, good time. there were some parts where I'm just like, okay, the estrogen is dripping off the screen. It's just, I, it's not working for me. But that's okay. I'm not the target audience. Your mom needs to run out and see it suit because uh, it didn't do very well over the weekend. Well, it's, it's when you got one out. in Rome before, I mean, it's not helping a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, that probably didn't help. So, yeah, but it, it's it's not. It's the least worth a rental, I think. Okay. But let's go ahead and talk about what's hitting DVD this week. Okay. That sounded a little seductive when I said that, but oh, That well. was very seductive. Right. That's okay. Uh, what else we got? Let's see. Oh, one of the top grossing films of the year. Um, I think one of, eh. Dave liked it more than me. I'm very on the fence with this. Iron Man 2, of course, the... <sighs> <laughs> Very well put, actually. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing this one. I haven't seen it yet. Get Him to the Greek with Russell Brand and Jonah Hill. Funny movie, funny movie. Yeah. Uh, family Guy, Partial Terms of Endearment, Banned from TV. Mm. Isn't it good? I'm the wrong guy to ask that yeah, question. I don't like the Family Guy. <laughs> uh, the final season of Scrubs, Scrubs Season 9. Finally. Put it out of its misery. <laughs> I love the first five seasons, but it took a flight downhill after that, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Cleveland Show, Season 1. This is another Seth MacFarlane thing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Moving on. CSI, <laughs> uh, season 10 with uh, with Lawrence Fishburne. Okay. Here's a movie. I swear I've been hearing about this thing forever. This and the one about the plane where the plane is up in the clouds with the big monster. Uh, Frozen. Frozen about a about a, a horror movie about a ski lift. This is when they're stuck in the ski lift and wolves come. and It got some good word out of Tiff for frostbite sure. Frostbite kicks yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Apparently it's pretty good. Uh, and then, uh, let's see. We also got Legendary. Um, starring starring Sir John Cena of the Marine um, so so here's the weird thing it doesn't come out to like November or December actually but as of this Tuesday Walmart has an exclusive on the DVD version and Best Buy has an exclusive on the best on the uh, Blu-ray version I don't know why but okay then Superman Batman Apocalypse I can't wait for that because I've read the comics it's essentially a reintroduction of Supergirl into the DC Universe it's a lot of fun I'm hoping it is at least We'll yeah, see what happens. Hopefully, hopefully it's not another Batman Gotham Knight. <sighs> and then finally, my favorite film, 1998, one of my favorite films, and uh, finally released in a Criterion edition. Not as stuffed as I liked, but still a pretty fantastic edition. That's Terrence Malick's masterpiece, The Thin Red Line. I love Wait, was that. Wait, was, was that this week? Yeah. Uh, was yep. that, wasn't it the past Tuesday? Because I... I don't know. Well, I went in HMV and I didn't see it, and I was like, I guess they just didn't get it. But I, I had the same thing happen. I heard it was going to be September 21st, but it's actually the 28th. I got the week wrong. Yeah. Okay. But, and then we've also got Babies coming out. You know that movie? The movie no Babies. <laughs> yes. Yes. The movie yes. Babies. The documentary. The movie Babies. Right. Which, uh, if you're all about ch- human development and child development, you might enjoy it. Otherwise, um, stay away. 
I have no, no desire to see that movie. I know you said it was good, and I've heard people say it's really captivating, but it's just... You're, I, I'm, I'm ba- not going to tell you. Babies are creepy. That's, that's Thank it. you. Yes. <laughs> there it is. I All keep right. hearing about the trailer to Paranormal Activity too, like like this really creepy baby. I'm like, what are babies not creepy? Babies creep me out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow. Ugh. Okay, then. Should we move on to some news then? News. All right, well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll you, start you with... Yeah, you kick it off. This I is, actually found two that in the time that I thought... I didn't okay, yeah, and Ethan's got some killer news, so I got some cheesy news. Uh, talk about one of the, what a stupid story to, like, captivate the American <laughs> headlines for a week. Stupid story. Just shows how desperate we are for a good story over here. Katy Perry got axed from Sesame Street, so the so Katy... actually pulled that clip? <laughs> he pulled the clip. Because no. here's what Sesame Street has been doing since the very beginning. What they do is they show the episode to uh, to a pre-established audience, and they basically like establish if anything is too strong or whatever. You know, it's just it's just kind of, it's kind of like the ratings board. And they've been doing this for years. They've almost never pulled anything, but this clip with uh, Katy Perry singing her hot and cold song with Elmo was apparently deemed offensive. We've seen the clip, and it speaks for itself. I mean, there's a lot, great deal more cleavage, I think, than than we're used to seeing on this show. I guess not to mention a, a, on Sesame a, Street. You mean not, yeah. not on Screen Geeks? I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, Screen Geeks, well, you know, we're all out in Screen uh, Geeks. Do but okay. uh, uh, yeah, so yeah, she's lots of cleavage, a very, very short cut dress, and you know, the non talent singing abilities of Katy Perry. So um, I didn't think it was that. I'm it's not like she's running around with pasties or anything. You know, I, I, I dislike Katy Perry with such a passion. I'm so happy that the street put its foot down. I really am. Oh, the street. Days. You make it sound like an HBO show or yeah. something. Yeah, it's the streets. You <laughs> know. Walking around. It's the hood with fuzzy creatures. Yeah. Almost the pimp. <laughs> well, it's not to talk about Oscar. Oscar's like a homeless guy living in a trash can. Ooh. I mean, really, there's some grittiness if you really think we about Sesame Street. We should go for alternate movies that Sesame Street could become. Follow, follow That Bird is actually a really gritty film if you look at it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's only like a few degrees away from being like a Harmony Corinne film. So. <laughs> There you go. I've always believed that. Um, let's see. This really excites me. Uh, two of my favorite, favorite, uh, favorite movie show hosts are back. Roger Ebert has a revamped show that begins, I believe, in January. Um, he's basically hosting it with a number of people. He has his own segment, where, of course, he, which he gives with a robotic voice, basically giving his uh, movie picks of the week. But it's a number of different people dealing with different subjects. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like a like a regular entertainment news show, but it's looking like a really good program. There's it's like a, Entertainment Tonight if it didn't suck. I'd say so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. Like if it, if it didn't suck, if you go to RogerEbert.com, there's actually a preview of what the pilot, what you can expect from the pilot. It looks really, really solid. And this is just this makes me so happy. Elvira is back. Elvira, the mistress of the dark is back starting today on sunday her show is back now if you go to elvira.com and really everybody should go to elvira.com you really should um there is a list of where you can find her show. Um, it's only on certain uh, certain uh, channels and certain states, and they've got a list of all the different places that the show is playing. Tell all me it's showing here. This is the beauty thing. Um, Colorado is only airing it in Colorado Springs. Yes, isn't that beautiful? Score because she's you know she's a local girl. She went to high school here, and then she got the heck out of here because she felt so repressed, like we all do, and then went to Vegas and became a showgirl. Met Elvis, became one of the groundlings, and then became the Mistress of the Dark. But anyway, yeah, like Denver's not getting this show. No one else is getting it, but the Springs. Isn't that a beautiful that's thing? We're awesome. getting it here on KKTV. It airs at two o'clock on. I guess I, I think that's like public TV and KKTV. No, that's but, Channel Eleven. That's oh, the CBS affiliate. Oh, very good. Okay, well, so yeah, so we're getting it two o'clock. It's yeah, Elvira's movie macabre. It's back. Oh, that's and awesome. it's the same thing where she's going to show like bad, bad B-rate black and white movies, and she's going to intercut every you know five minutes with her snarky remarks. So, oh, that's yeah. Beautiful. So yeah, excellent news. And the last two bits I have. Um, 
this is not good news. In fact, most of the news left is pretty awful. Uh, starting March March 2011, mark your calendars. Kate Beckinsale is back in Underworld 4 because you know you want Underworld 4. So she's going to squeeze into those tights once again. Uh, and then two trailers that came out, uh, one of which uh, looks pretty – it was an interesting trailer just because it's so strong. It's a really intense trailer for a really dark-looking movie. Tyler Perry's new film, For Color Girls. This is a movie he did not write. It's based on, a, uh, based on I believe, an off-Broadway play. The cast has everybody from Tandy Newton to Janet Jackson, just a, just a really, really gifted cast of African-American actresses. Uh, that opens this November, actually. And then a movie that looks genuinely terrible. I can't believe the talent involved. The new film from Ron Howard called The Dilemma. Ron Howard is directing his first comedy, I think maybe since Gung Ho, like his first all-out comedy yeah, since the paper. And the it, What's that? That was a horror movie. That was a horror movie. That's what that was. (laughs) And The Dilemma stars Vince Vaughn, but get this. It also stars uh, Winona Ryder and Jennifer Connelly. Oh, I've seen the screenshots from this, the production stills. Yeah, it looks really, really bad, and I can't believe the talent involved. So that's it for me this week. I'm just glad that's the guy, the visionary talent handling the Dark Tower. I know. Isn't that terrible? Like going from freaking Angels and Demons to The Dilemma to The Dark Tower. That's just it's so sad. All right, Ethan, I'll let you kick it off next. Yeah, a bit of a bummer here, too. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, which uh, was announced. It was supposed to be like an allegory for the creation of Scientology. It was going to have Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jeremy Renner, Reese Witherspoon. Well, it looks like it's been uh, postponed indefinitely. That's terrible. And what I heard, probably the same thing you heard, was that he was at the workshop phase of it. I guess they were doing read-throughs, and they ran into to dramatic problems that they couldn't get around. Yeah, I figure it would just be the money because, you know, movies that are made for people older than 12 are kind of hard to get greenlit these days. But <laughs> Do you think but, also you know, because they're going after Scientology, maybe they're, you know, maybe Hollywood's blocking them or? Maybe, but uh, <laughs> I kind of just wonder if he'll maybe like what, what's PTA going to do? Is it just going to do like a maybe like a jobber thing in between? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like maybe direct something he didn't write. I Whatever. I just, I, I, you know. Gosh, like, I hope not. I would hate for him to do like. You know, freaking Bad Boys 3, you know, just because, like, he needed some money. That would be so sad. Well, I, was, I thought you were going to say, like, Malik and it be, like, 20 years between or something. That would be kind of a... Oh, you know, I wouldn't mind that. I would rather a great director hang it up and walk away a great director than, you know, than, uh, than Ron Howard do the dilemma. <laughs> oh, there it is. Well done. What else you got, sir? Um, this is a good one, though. Uh, Rowan Polanski actually is going to have a n- new movie, and it has uh, Kate Winslet, Jodie Foster, Christoph Waltz, and Matt Dillon. That's a fantastic cast. Yeah, and well, though I don't get how is this happening? Like, <laughs> we, like I just I'm a little confused about that, though. He's going to direct from behind bars. They're going to be a satellite hookup to the set. <laughs> hey, no, Cooper, he's Cooper he's did out it from a bus, so. There you go. Well, well no, he he uh, he's out, right? I mean, my understanding was that the the lawsuit got dropped, right? I mean, he's still like, you know, disreputable, but he's not. Uh, he's not. I mean, I think he's wanted in America, but I think in Europe, like they've they dropped some of the suits or something. I have it was no kind of convoluted idea. the way it was it was explained to me. Hard yeah, to keep up with, yeah. yeah. But yeah. glad he's making another one. So. Yeah. Do we have a title or a plot or no? I think it's something Carnage, and I think it's about like parents who are arguing over their children, and eventually. It become something very heated and they're killing each other or something i don't wow yet, all right yeah. then Fun it's like a harmony kareen film nice uh, just no just <laughs> <it>. just. 
What else you got? Um, <laughs> oh, another controversial trail. guy. It looks like uh, the Gibber himself might appear in season five of Mad Men. <laughs> the Gibber. I like yeah. that, actually. That should be his new nickname. The Academy Award-winning director of Braveheart, the Gibber. How sad. Well, no, Mad Men's a good show. I could see him doing that. It's just, it, it is a little odd. He's a great actor. I mean, I, I, honestly, I think as an actor, he, he could succeed in anything. And as a director, I think he could succeed in anything. As a guy, I don't want to get stuck on an elevator with him. I mean, I think the plot of Devil would be so much more frightening if it was Mel Gibson playing himself and I got stuck on an elevator with Mel Gibson and be like, well, which one of you is the devil? And everyone kind of looks over at Mel. I mean... <laughs> Well played. Well no, played, sir. He's a, but, you know, he's a, he, really, seriously, he's a great actor. I mean, you have to look at, like, Bird on a Wire to find a bad Mel Gibson performance. He's a great actor. I think he would be fine on, on Mad Men. He's not afraid yeah, to go know, anywhere in his performance I know, as well. I know I've trashed him a lot in the past, but as an actor, I agree. I think he's okay. I think he's perfectly solid. I could see him, like, acting opposite John Hamm, to be honest. Sure. Like, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's proven he's willing to do anything in a role. I mean, he's done some really goofy stuff. Oh, but yeah. pulled it off well. Yeah. So, I mean, he, I, did, yeah. I wonder if he did it though. Would there? Do you think there would be people who'd be like, "I refuse to watch Mad Men from now no. on"? No, people will say that, and then it would be like the highest rated episode in the show's history, and then he would get good reviews, and people would keep watching the show, and like, and it'd be like, "Oh my God, Mel Gibson's back!" LOL, TMZ. Speaking of, what's gonna happen with uh, the Beaver? I'm still curious about that. Me too. I want to freaking see that movie now. I want to see the Beaver so bad. The shot of Mel, <laughs> shots of Mel Gibson running around with that, with that, with that stupid puppet on his hand make me laugh so hard every time I see it. I am dying to see that movie. And, 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 and Jodie Foster, the director herself, has insisted that it is a powerful film and that this is one of Mel Gibson's greatest performances. I want to see this thing like right now. I, I was hoping it would like go like get released under the wire at the Denver Film Fest this year. I don't know, but yeah, they're keep... running a little bit behind, so they're still they've still got word out to to uh, the studio saying if they want to submit anything. So yeah, oh, man. That's, it's possible. You never please, know. Please, Jody, give us your Beaver. <laughs> I never <laughs> expected like two to sounders are going to show up uh, on other podcasts now. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe if we all chip in some money, we can uh, distribute it ourselves. <laughs> I got like twenty dollars in my pocket. Well, I think it costs like twenty million. So, like on one hand, it's a cheap Hollywood movie, but on the other hand, they see it as a real risk. So maybe this Mad Men thing would be good, good promotion for the Beaver. There you go. Yeah. Uh, last story here: the uh, director shortlist for the Superman reboot came out. It's um, I Tony was... Scott. Yeah. Matt Reeves. Jonathan Liebsman? Liebsman? The dude who made the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, right? The beginning, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, Duncan Jones and Zack Snyder, our favorite. Oh, Zack Snyder. I think Duncan Jones could make an interesting Superman movie. That's the one that doesn't want to send me Screaming for the Hills. Snyder needs to make more movies about talking owls. I just want him to go away and get stuck with the legends of Gahul. But uh, yeah, Matt Reeves, I think he's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a totally respectable choice. Honestly, Tony Scott, I'd be down for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be really interesting. I hate that they completely abandoned everything that got set up in the last movie. I love the last movie, and I hate that they're like, no, you know, it turns out we're not going to go with Brandon Routh. We're not going to go with making it feel connected to the other Superman movies. We're going to completely reboot it. I hate this reboot crap. I really do. All right, then. I'm sick of everything being rebooted. Well, it didn't work uh, two years ago, so we're going to do a $150 million reboot. Uh, we don't need you anymore, Mr. Norton. You're not you're not talented enough to play the Hulk. <laughs> we'll get Mark Ruffalo. He's much better. Stupid, You're not stupid, bitter about that stupid. still at all, are you? That pisses me off. 
you get a perfectly brilliant, not, not even a good actor, a brilliant actor to play Bruce Banner, then it's like, oh, okay, well, we just broke even, and uh, the film didn't didn't make as much money as The Dark Knight, so we don't we don't need your assistance anymore, Mister Norton. But thank uh, you. When the, that wasn't with that; it was kind of a creative issue too. Like he right. wasn't a team player or something, so. right? That's the story. Yes. Yeah, apparently he wanted a cut that was more character driven, and Marvel wanted a cut that was more action packed and more swift. And then Marvel, of course, got their version of the movie in theaters, and apparently. You know, the longer cut apparently was like like a little over two hours, and you saw glimpses of it in the trailer. There was a lot more talky scenes as opposed to... Rawr! Well, and so. on the Blu-ray and the three-disc DVD, you actually got those deleted scenes, and I think they added a lot to the movie. I would have loved to have seen them cut, get cut back in. Me too. Fair enough. And that's all you had, right, Ethan? Yeah. All right, I've got a whole two stories left. Actually, one story and announcement about something we're covering. Um, but coming November 16th, we finally have a date. Best Worst Movie is coming to DVD. Finally. When's that coming to DVD? November 16th. November 16th. Yes. It's going to be a good time. There's all kinds of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, deleted scenes. Let's see here. What else have we got on here? It's perfect. This is the week Lloyd Kaufman's coming to UCCS. That's going to be a fun, fun, goofy oh, week. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, it's going to have over an hour of deleted scenes and interviews, uh, fan contributions, some mashup trailers, a Q&A that he did, uh, that, that Michael Paul Stevenson did, and a provocative... Here's why I want to get this DVD. A provocative message from Trolls 2's Goblin Queen, Deborah Reed. <laughs> that could be kind of funny. <laughs> I can't wait. I already have it pre-ordered. I'm proud to say. Yes, and then finally, we are going to a film festival we've never been before, and we're not covering it. Well, us proper. Uh, our, 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 the we Brit- have minions. <laughs> yes, the British... Val Kilmer himself, Jack Gregson, will be covering the British Film Institute's London Film Festival for us. Thank as, you, Jack. Thank you, sir. Well, we, we were able to get him a press pass, so that doesn't hurt either. Well, all the same, hey, he's out there doing it. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm not going, so I, I really appreciate I, him doing this. I love the way that they've got it set up over there because they've got like three days of nothing but press and industry screenings and stuff, which is really cool, I think. And yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be a good time. I'm quite jealous I won't be able to go over, but... Jack's going to do a great job. You'll see some reviews come up, and I think he's going to come on the show afterwards. Fantastic. To, uh, talk yeah, about any, it. yeah, that's great. Yes, we're going to have a good cool. time. And I guess that's about it. So let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk about the films of M. Night Shyamalan. In 2005, the crack unit of the bloggers were banned by a web administrator for spam they didn't send. These men promptly created their own website in the cyberspace underground. Today, still wanting a place to discuss their fandom, they survive as bloggers of sci fi. If you have a favorite show or movie, if no one else can understand you, and if you can type J-O-N-J-A on your keyboard, maybe you can find Janja.net. At Janja.net, you can find discussions and reviews in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and everything in between, as well as exclusive interviews with some of your favorite celebrities and filmmakers. Join our forums now and subscribe to the Janja.net podcast. Everything is free. And everything is fun. We'll see you online at Janja.net. Everyone groaned when they saw my name. I I don't understand. Maybe people don't like your movies anymore? No. It has to be something else. And we're back. <laughs> We've discussed whether to title this our Shyamalan Ding Dong episode or the films of M. Night Shyamalan. I, I don't think know. the second one is a, is more appropriate. Okay, there you go. We don't want to take complete pot shots at the guy. And I really don't because uh, I really like the guy's films for the most part, and I, I feel he's had a really bad spell of, of of films. And you know, even Steven Spielberg has had bad bad periods of creativity, and even Scorsese has had bad periods of creativity. So I don't want to suggest that he is not capable of making great films anymore. Um, 
Let's start at the very beginning, shall we? M. Night Shyamalan, like a lot of young, talented filmmakers, got hooked into the Miramax machine in the 90s. Um, his first experience working at Disney was making a film that was based on uh, his childhood, a very personal film called Wide Awake with uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, really? Wide Awake. Yay. Was, yeah. It was made in 1995. <laughs> it wasn't released until 1998, one of the many films that Harvey Weinstein saw and decided that it was not fit for theatrical release. He wanted Shyamalan to cut it. He wanted to recut the film himself. You know, one of the many films that was kind of, you know, a victim of quote-unquote Harvey Scissorhands during the Miramax reign of the 90s. Um, in fact, there is one story that Premiere Magazine reported where apparently... Rosie O'Donnell called Harvey Keitel, Harvey Keitel, sorry, Rosie O'Donnell called, sorry, Harvey Weinstein and basically wanted to complain about like, where the heck is his movie? Why haven't you released his movie? And I guess like he like tore her to pieces over the phone and he had to send her like a gift basket like a two days later to make up for it because apparently like he was, the stuff he said to her apparently was like so unbelievably cruel. So... Yeah, nice. infamous story in Hollywood circles. So anyway, Wide Awake, when it finally got released in 1998, about two people saw it. I'm one of those people. And it's it's um, it's well-meaning, it's interesting, but it's not a great film. It really is not a good – in fact, it's not even really a good film. Um, but it was a, prom- a promising movie. And then for whatever reason, Disney, you know, who, of course, you know, Miramax is owned by Disney and vice versa at the time. Uh, Disney went to M Night Shyamalan and basically said, "Look, if whatever you got, you know, just let's 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 see what you can provide us." And Shyamalan, having been really burnt by what happened with with Wide Awake, decided, "You know what? Screw it. I'm just going to knock it out of the ballpark. I'm going to come up with a screenplay that is just everybody's going to want it. This is going to be an incredible film. This is going to be my Jaws." All right. Well, anyway, the sixth sense. So like somehow it ended up at Bruce Willis's desk, and this is when Bruce was like going through a tough spat because like he was doing a Disney movie also called Broadway Baller that he got out of. And he like signed this contract essentially saying that um, he would get out of making this movie that he hated where he played a boxer. But the deal was he had to make three movies like Dirt Cheap for Disney. The first movie he made for Disney, Dirt Cheap, was Armageddon, which of course became the top grossing film of the year and totally helped his career. And then The Sixth Sense, which he made for Peanuts, but again became the top grossing thriller of all time and still one of the most popular and influential films of all time. Let's talk about The Sixth Sense for a bit. Ethan? I still want to wait. Is that Rosie O'Donnell movie anything like that one where she's the woman on the bus? No, nothing like that. Actually, Wide Awake is uh, it's a drama set in a Catholic school. Tell me, she's not doesn't wear like a Catholic school outfit. I don't. Well, she's a teacher. Okay, good. And I think good, she's, good. I, if I remember correctly, I think she's a nun, but she doesn't dress like a nun. But it is like a like a religious boarding school, and it's about this kid's search for God, essentially, and how he goes on a search for God and. Uh, the things that happen to him that are like religious experiences. I believe Dennis Leary is in the movie. I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but it, it's it's not very inspired, not not really a memorable film. Okay. So it's nothing like, yeah, where, where O'Donnell's the mentally handicapped girl on the bus. Nothing like that. <laughs> Can we put the YouTube uh, montage of that in the show notes? <laughs> There's a YouTube montage of that? I haven't seen it. Of, of her on the bus? The bus move? <laughs> I haven't seen that, no. What? I don't usually go for like Rosie O'Donnell clips, search. Yeah, I don't... Okay, email it to me. Email it to me and I'll put it in. <laughs> yeah, let's see that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we're talking so, about The so Sixth, the sixth sense. sense. Yeah. For a lot of people, this is his first movie as far as they're concerned. Sure, sure. Uh, it, it is incredibly good. It, even though it does tell you outright, it gives you the tip off if you're looking for it. Like the second time through, you're like, oh. Yeah, but nobody sees it. It's but like that's t- what I like about it's it. It's like Tyler Durden. Nobody knows what's going on the first time. But that's what, in, in comparison to Fight Club, what I liked is the fact that is that they made this leap but they gave you all the hints in the movie leading up to it. And that's what really gave me a lot of respect for Shyamalan was because he said, okay, we're not only going to just say, 
well, this is what the secret is. But we're going to give you the hints and the tips that if you once you go through again, oh, well, yeah, there it is, there it is, there it is, and it's pretty cool. The structure of the film is great. I mean, for me, it feels like a Polanski film. It's very slow-paced. It's very quiet. It's extremely sinister and, and, and quite frightening. I think it's a ghost story, and I think it's one of the reasons it works so well. It's a really classy film. I saw it the day it opened, and I thought it was a terrific movie, and I thought, this movie doesn't have a chance. It's opening like after opening up after like Blair Witch had just come out, you know, and it was competing against all these other big summer movies, and like I, I thought The Sixth Sense didn't have a chance. It was a Bruce Willis movie without a car chase. Who is going to want to see this? film and it was terrific and thankfully the critics jumped on that too and and just just lathered it with with great reviews and audiences kept going again in fact it was like the number one movie in america i think for like six weeks which was unprecedented at the time very cool but no i love the film i think it's one of willis's best performance i think Haley joel osmond is extraordinary in it. and uh yeah frank, frankly it still scares me ghost stories scared me and that that movie definitely creeped me out cool ethan uh the thing is i was too young to see it when i came out in the theater so I saw it after knowing what the twist was and whatnot, and uh, I guess that affected my enjoyment of it a little, but honestly, I, I still think it's a pretty awesome movie. And uh, no, it's like, it's like not like Shyamalan was the first person to use red as a motif in a of horror course. movie or anything, yeah. but uh, right. so it's not like it's that mind-blowing, but still, it's really, it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, wasn't it? It was, it was. It won, uh, God, did it win? I, th- I thought it won for Best Original Screenplay, but I don't remember. But it was up for... Tony Collette was up for Best Actress, uh, Best Supporting Actress, and Haley Joel was nominated, too, and he lost to Michael Caine. I remember that, because Michael Caine actually dressed that from the pulpit. And But yeah, it was up for Best Picture. I think Shyamalan was up for Best Director. Um, yeah, but still one of the most acclaimed thrillers of all time, no question. It's certainly, one of the mo- it's certainly the most successful thriller of all time. Yes. I'm trying to pull up to see if it won any Oscars and stuff, and they've changed the IMDb's out. I know. I hate. Don't you hate that? I hate the new format of IMDb. It's obnoxious. Screw it. I'm not going to look. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. Anyway, either way, I mean, you know, no question. I mean, like, and it's funny you mentioned that, Ethan. Like the whole issue of like use use of color and stuff. I mean, this is stuff that Hitchcock and Kubrick have been doing for decades. But I think it really made people really think about the technique and language of cinema. Because people really started talking about it, and like after, uh, like certainly with Unbreakable, people going, "Oh, look at the use of blue and how he's wearing this color, and this scene is bathed in this color." Like I think people really began to not only become aware of like cinema technique and pop culture, but also of of Shyamalan's technique, for better or for worse. Cool. Because then they would hold it against him just a few yeah. movies later. <laughs> but, but this is definitely a good film. I, I don't think any of us would say don't watch this movie. No, I still think it's one of the best films of, of 99. I really do. And I, I think out of all the movies that were up for Best Picture that year, I thought it should have won. Um, I, I think American Beauty is a great film, but I don't think it was better than The Sixth Sense. I really don't. Um, I thought Eyes Wide Shut was the best film of the year, but that wasn't nominated for anything. So, But uh, <laughs> no, out of all the films that were for Best Picture that year, I was I really thought The Sixth Sense deserved to win because if nothing else, it was the movie movie of that year people could not stop talking about it phantom menace (laughs) (laughs) stupid phantom menace detroit rock city i'm trying to remember all the other bad movies that came out i I saw wait i just wait how did i see detroit rock city in the theater but not the sixth sense (laughs) (laughs) wow i didn't even see that in the theater that's pretty cool that's impressive inspector gadget Oh, I saw that too. What, what, what were my parents doing that summer? <laughs> do, 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 do. I actually saw Inspector Gadgets and Tarzan at the drive-in in a double feature. That was the first. Wait, I remember I saw yeah I saw Detroit Rock City and the Blair Witch Project at the drive-in. Wow, that's gonna be cool. That's cool seeing Blair Witch at the drive-in. That's cool. 
That's the way to see that movie. Sweet. Yes. All right. Cool. Well, then, uh, let's see. Just one year later, just one year later, he, um, you know, thankfully, not only was The Sixth Sense was a huge hit, but, of course, Disney's like, oh, you want to make more movies? Sure. So they threw a pretty substantial budget at him to make a movie that actually doesn't really need it. He made a very quiet superhero <laughs> film. Um, the kind of movie that, you know, now, because of heroes and whatnot, I mean, this kind of genre really does exist, the whole notion of, like, the low-key, no special effects, no frills, completely psychological, character-driven superhero comic book movie, which is Unbreakable. Um, opened in November of 2000 with, with huge anticipation. To the day it opened, nobody knew what this film was about. Nobody yeah. knew. And, and, in fact, I remember walking in thinking, I'll bet the twist is that he's an angel. Because they kept saying, like, how is he unbreakable? I'm like, okay, cool, it's about angels. That's got to be what it's about because Sean Wan's this really religious guy. But but no, like, they let the cat out of the bag in the first two minutes with, uh, with, with the opening and closing scrolls that talk about the nature of comic books, which is my only problem with this movie to this day. I is really, it text crawls? I don't like the opening scroll. No, I feel like it, it kind of lets the cat out of the bag. I really, and, okay. I, and I don't like the ending scroll either. I just, but everything in between, I really thought this was also one of the best films of its year. It's, I think it's my favorite Shyamalan film. Um, it, it, the the chemistry between Sam Jackson and Bruce Willis is amazing. It's so subtle. Yeah, you're yes. right. It, it's great because like with these two guys, you expect like a Pulp Fiction dynamic. But but, but Jackson is like I love that this is still a popular film because it's one of the only proofs that we have that Jackson can be such a brilliant understated actor because people are used to seeing all the histrionics. Yeah, like Shaft or Pulp Fiction. Or, well, like like, like what snakes on a plane everything he's done since then has been a lot of a lot of shouting and a lot of these over the top performances as I say there's that great scene he has I think it's his is it his first scene in the movie where he's like that guy wants to buy the painting for like a four year old or something again please yeah amazing scene yeah the the movie is full of really well written scenes um, scenes that are supposed to make you very uncomfortable and they do um, I, one of the underrated, one of the most underrated performances in this movie is Robin Wright Penn Absolutely. as Bruce Willis's wife. She's heartbreaking in this film and so moving. There's a scene that just kills me every time I see it, and it's such a beautiful scene where she comes to the door and he opens the door and she asks, like, basically, if their marriage is still going to happen. And he basically tells her yes, and she has like this muted response where she's trying to hold back the tears, and it's devastating. Like, like people forget this is really an actor's movie. Willis is fantastic in this movie. People always yes. talk about, oh, he's like he's so muted. Like, remember a lot of the critics really picked on him, saying, oh, it's a dull performance. It's an in, it's an internalized character, and he's brilliant in this film because he's given big performances like everybody else in this cast, but they all play down to Shyamalan's very quiet level, and I think the movie is perfect in that respect. In you know, in in having a really quiet tone and being a really sinister movie. If Polanski's if uh, if The Sixth Sense was his Polanski movie, I think this is his Hitchcock film. I really do. Absolutely, I remember walking out opening. I think it was, we I went opening day with my buddy Todd, and I walked out saying he didn't declare he was said he could become the next Hitchcock because it was just so expertly put together, I thought. Yeah. And I still do think. I think he could have gone I think down he has. Road. I oh. think he has the potential to come back. I do. Well, I think the thing is, you look at it, like, you can, well, I guess we'll get to his, you know, other stuff later, but you look at that and you look at the happening, and it's like he was such a subtle filmmaker back then. Like, oh, it's we're talking his, about that with starting with the next film. I have a very huge point about that, it, but yes. But it's, I mean, it's not just his writing that got worse. It was his aesthetics, really. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, <clears throat> not sure. Yeah, not sure really what happened, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll, we'll. But it didn't do that well at the box office, did it? Unbreakable made about ninety million, so it was a success. It broke even, but in terms of anticipation, it was a disappointment because I mean, uh, uh, excuse me, The Sixth Sense I think did like two hundred ninety million dollars 
you know, yeah. that's just in America. I mean, overseas, I mean, it, it's the most successful thriller of all time. So then Unbreakable, you know, which had a $30 million opening, but only ended at about $90 million. You know, again, it, success, money was made, but because the anticipation was so huge, it was, some people perceived it as a flop, and it's not. It's, it, you know, and, and, you know, it's still one of his most loved, if not his most loved movies. I, I'm like you, Dave. I've This is probably my favorite of his just because I I enjoy watching it. The Sixth Sense creeps me out. I, I I really am not comfortable with the scene with the ghost walking away and the half of his head is gone. There's so many scenes in The Sixth Sense that really creep me out and I lose sleep even thinking about. But Unbreakable I go back to because I see not only masterful filmmaking and great storytelling. Um, I just love this movie. I think it's – and it's so moving. Um, I love the scene at the end of the movie between between father and son. No dialogue. The two of them over the breakfast table. That scene always gets me. Like to me, this is such a great emotional film. Yeah, and it's an emotional and really in a great way in a way that uh, the Sixth Sense was too. Where again, it's character really. You know, it's like the whole Twilight Zone thing of like characters in these fantastic situations, and you know they played so believably into the chest. So, all right. Well, then two years later, he came back with a big summer film, uh, which was Signs with uh, with the Gibber. And I actually went back and rewatched this movie. And you know how you're talking about how he used to be all subtle, Ethan? The opening score is like this grand flore- orchestral flourish of, Oh, this is an M. Night Shyamalan movie! Be excited, be in awe! And I'm like, really, dude? This, this is such a, uh, it's such a tonal shift from the first two movies that it, it really caught me off guard. Well... I mean, do, do you want to blame James Newton Howard, though, the the, the composer? Or? Well, t- sh- you can, but who put the movie together? Oh, come on. I think I don't think we could blame Shyamalan for the score. I, the, you know, and it's a perfectly good score. It's it's a different type of film, but I don't think it's I don't think it's a, it's a particularly unsubtle film compared to the other ones. Mm, I guess I, I, I that really struck me though. That was the, the the first two movies had, films had scores that were far more subdued and in line with the film. That watching. Signs really took me out of it initially, just to kind of like, what in the, what, are, what, what am I watching? Well, I mean, because I mean, the question is, is this even going to be an alien invasion movie? The whole movie, I'm wondering, is this isolated incident only in this house? I mean, is this really a worldwide panic? I mean, the whole film, I'm really wondering, like, like, what, what, what's the gag here? Um, and I think most people were expecting some kind of huge twist, and of course, that's one of Shyamalan's downfalls is that he became known for that as opposed to somebody who could spring it on people. And you know, it's like if you're always waiting for a guy to tell a joke, you're going to sit and wait for the joke even when there's no joke, and that's one of the problems with like Will Ferrell trying to do drama. There are a lot of people who just laugh because it's Will Ferrell on screen. Oh, okay. Well, no, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> just, just, you know, just trying to draw a correlation. Okay, okay. Well, because like with Unbreakable, a lot of people are like, oh, that's the the big twist at the end. Like, no, the Unbreakable really didn't have a big twist per se. I mean, the twist was that you know that 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 these are superheroes walking on broad daylight. And I think with 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 signs, a lot of people are like, okay, are we actually going to see any aliens? And we do. But I think the movie really does wait a long time to show its hand. And I think the strongest, one of the strongest aspects of that is the scene where the where in the basement, and all of a sudden you see the, you see this creepy hand go for the kid, which is a real nice shock jolt moment. Yes, yes. But the ending's corny with uh, with water being the solution to the problem, especially if you consider that if aliens two thirds of the con- the con- the planet's covered in you water. You figure they'd get a good look at the planet before they would plan like their huge invasion and realize that you know it's like why would we invade a planet that's full of battery acid? You know, it's like probably not something we do. Yeah, you think? I, but however, that aside. I will say, what I, what I, the way I like to term signs now, I used to hate on it a lot. I respected it a lot more watching it this last time. Why'd you hate it? Um, you know, it's it's that crappy twist of aliens can't handle, they don't know what to do with doorknobs, and they're, they and water kills them. Really? That's, okay. That Like, the, the twists in the previous movies were set up, and he, and he kind of, you know, 
earned those twists, I thought. With Sixth Sense, and even Unbreakable, even though whether you want to call it a twist or not, he earned that ending. There's nothing earned that, that even gave you a hint as to what was coming with Signs. I mean, it makes no sense. Yeah, the, but is okay. is the movie really about that though? Isn't no, the movie and that's why, about Gibson and his family. I just, and I that's just why feel... I, I I used to hate this movie. I call it, I, I like to think of this film as the film that starts showing cracks in the armor, if you will. Yes, that's a huge problem for a payoff at the end of a movie. But I thought the performances and the cinematography and everything were still very good. I think it's still a good film overall. I, I could be wrong, but like Joaquin Phoenix, I thought was great in it. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and like you say, you know, it is full. Of, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix has an incredibly subdued role. Yeah, no, he's very good. I, I really like Joaquin's work in this. the uh, The home movie scene of the alien, I think, is really, really quite good. Uh, very, very mm-hmm. effective. Um, in fact, a lot of people have have cited it as like the one part of the movie that still gives them nightmares. And I think it's it's great because it's. It's like it's so grounded in reality, whereas like the last scene of the film, the climactic scene in the living room, I don't think is really grounded in reality, even though it's yeah. it's well done, but it's it's not great. It's but, the whole um, I've got to have a twist, so let's throw this in. But I agree with Ethan. I mean, I think the strength of the movie is not only the aspect of the family, the family dynamic, which I think is very good, and I think Gibson is as usual extraordinary in this film as an actor. But um, the whole notion of his, you know, being someone who loses his faith, and during the course of the movie, he ends up gaining that back. Um, I think that is what kind of makes it kind of a complex film. And, it, and it's an interesting film because really, I mean, Shyamalan's doing the birds here, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole notion of like, you know, the threat is unseen, the threat is suggested. Um, but there's a lot of scenes, I think, that are obviously trying to pay tribute or homage to the birds in some ways. Oh, yeah, it's just for me personally, though, whenever I think of the movie, I just think of the family scenes. It's like it's a Spielberg movie, basically. Yeah, that's. And like it's what's what's that scene? Was it like the kids are asleep and they're kind of talking in hushed voices? Like, I think that there is or whatever. I like I I love that scene and stuff. And, yeah, yeah, I like the scenes of the little kids with the tin foil on their heads and. Uh, and then he comes yeah. home later, and Joaquin's joined them. That, yeah, it's a great yeah. touch. Yeah, no, I, I think it, I think it is a great movie. I, I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the first two, but I do think it is a really great film. And uh, and the parts where they where, where you have the interactions with the dogs too, I thought was very interesting too. Yeah, it was, it was it's it's got a lot of great touches in it. Yeah, and all the scenes of of, of Gibson stalking the who knows what they are in the in the cornfields, I thought them very well done. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Feel the Dreams as a horror film. <laughs> wow, there you go. <laughs> so. Um, all right, well, let's let's get right to it. Uh, just three years later, he came back in the summer of... No, sorry, two years later. Sorry, yeah, summer of 04 with The Village. The Village was originally titled The Woods, uh, but it turns out that Lucky McGee beat, uh, beat Shyamalan to the punch, so Shyamalan had to change it to The Village, which is certainly a fine title. Yeah. Um, yeah, another movie is shrouded in secrecy and mystery, and once it finally hit theaters, it made over $100 million. It was certainly one of the top-grossing films for Disney that year, and, a, and certainly a hit by any means, but... Uh, yeah, the uh, word of mouth in this movie was not good, and the drops per week um, were were definitely telltale. And some this this filmmaker who was on the cover of T- Newsweek and Time Magazine at one point touted as the next Spielberg was starting, as you would say, to uh, show cracks in the armor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let me talk about what I love about this film. <laughs> uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, I think without question, it's a great performance. Uh, I thought well, she was Christina Hendricks at first. Christina Hendricks. Yes. Because at that time they did look quite a bit like because she was but, she was saffron in Firefly. There's, there's the difference, Dave. Well, there's it's that the, too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> visual, visual joke. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. probably good we're not a video cast right wah, now. Wah. Okay. Uh, sorry. Sorry. Was, I, I wasn't. I wasn't bummed. I was just like, that's that's totally her. Oh wait, no. Okay, it's not my bad. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I, I think I think she's terrific in the movie. I think most of the performances in this film are great. I think you, I think Adrian Brody really yeah. should have thought. I mean, you know, you win the Academy Award, all of a sudden you have all these opportunities to work with these, you know, these highly touted directors, and this is yay! I got mail! Yay! That's a performance. Uh, it, it was, was special ed. It's kind of a silly performance, and 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 frankly, because he was miscast, and frank, I don't think the character was especially well established. Um, as a metaphor, I think the film is fine. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people have a hard time with the twist. I think it's a great twist. I really do. I think it's terrific. Um, and I, I think it, you know, it, the movie is making a statement about, about people living in isolated situations that are, you know, that are being empowered by people who are in the know. I mean, I think you could say anything about like religious communities or religious cults that, that have this kind of power over people. And I think that's the strength of the movie. Um, but it's a very uneven film. I'll definitely admit to that. It's a very uneven film. And I think, I think the ending kind of loses some of its steam because it does let the air out of the tires pretty quickly, and then but it wants to still have suspense even though we know that there's no threat, which I think is a bit of a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, I, I actually I really wanted to rewatch this, but I still haven't seen it since the theater. Sorry, just couldn't find the time. It's but uh, I remember liking it. But again, I guess I was easy to please back then. So. No, I liked it too. I really I don't think it's a bad film. Um, I think the camera lingering on Shyamalan's cameo was a mistake because it does, it feels like a self-indulgence as opposed to something that's Hitchcockian. Um, it commits an unforgivable sin as far as I'm concerned. Which is? It treats me like I'm an idiot. Every movie does that though. No, no, not like this. This does it in a special way. Like how? We're going to show you the suits so you know it's just a guy in a suit. But five minutes later, we're going to pretend we didn't show that to you. <gasps> What's chasing him? What's chasing him? It's a guy in a suit for sake. But they say that there are rumors, though, that there are still creatures in the woods. Like, he's still trying to impose his fear on her. So I think we still have this, uh, some kind of semblance of suspense. I, okay. And it was a scary scene, too. It was scary when she's in the woods and, you know, she has to rely on her wits. I mean, I think that was a really frightening idea that someone would run into the woods blind, you know, trying to find escape from this, you know, from this utopia. Okay. <laughs> no, I think it still works. I do. I'm glad, sir. I'm glad. All right. Well, let's move on to Lady in the Water then. Lady in the Water was uh, two years later, summer of '06. This is with Paul Giamatti, and this is also with the aforementioned Bryce Dallas Howard. And that's when we had a fight at the screening, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a fight broke out at the screening, Dave and I went to. Um, oh. <laughs> no, it's hilarious. Well, yeah. God. Uh, let's see. We were in line, and we were at the very front of the line, and there were these two these two elderly couples in front of us, and they started to let us all into the theater. And then uh, the the individual who was running the screening said, "Sorry, the theaters actually aren't ready yet. You guys are gonna have to go back outside." It's like, okay, so the line you know does this you know reverse train, so all of a sudden everybody's going back to the line. And there was a bit of argument and dispute between the two old ladies over who was in line first. And one old lady cold cocked the other. What? <laughs> and and I, and I mean like old lady, by the oh, way. Yeah. We're talking like Betty White. And like a, something of a fisticuffs ensued. And it took a few people, including one of the husbands who was going, don't, just stop it. Edith, don't do it. You know, and they broke up the fight and. Anyway, I've never seen we anything. Floor li- show before the I've never seen anything like that in my life, and that was just bizarre. So yeah, sorry. I don't know if, okay, uh, I don't know if they stayed for the film. But anyway, yeah, it was a nice Shyamalan like touch. It was a twist. It was old people fighting. Who would have thought? <laughs> Something, yeah, incredible who's, who's twist. Wow, what a twist. Um, let's see. So, Lady in the Water. There was actually a you know interesting enough. Like the story behind the movie is fascinating, and the, the brief version of it is that nobody wanted to do this film. Like Disney 
dropped Shyamalan because of this. They, they said, no, this is a bad idea. It's a bad script. We're not going to give you the money to do it. This is a movie that, you know, we just don't want to have anything to do with. There was actually a book written about, um, about what happened. There's a book written basically about like, um, in fact, not only was a book, but there was a TV special called the, the documentary, the fake documentary about Shyamalan that he actually, yeah. And this is when, when his, uh, his That's reputation when he his cred. started to go down. Yeah. Cause the, the, the documentary was not, not only was it poor, but apparently it was a documentary that he secretly funded and it was just a drum of publicity, but it was such a, it's just a dumb idea and it was a bad publicity stunt. The book hits the shelves right around the time that the movie came out and like, all this word that Shyamalan was going out of control and that people wouldn't listen to his opinions. You know, he wouldn't listen to other people's opinions. Well, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, that he was just kind of this loose cannon would-be visionary. And the film opened, not only did it open poorly, but opened to some of the worst reviews of that year. And, and not some deservedly, some undeservedly. Like, I, I would say it's a noble failure. I think there are good things in the film. I don't think it shows a talentless filmmaker. I think there's some real visionary moments in the movie. And and Giamatti is excellent in this film. Yeah. I mean, it's and Dallas Howard isn't it, bad in it. She's very good. And Giamatti, like, like the role was originally intended for Tom Hanks, but Giamatti takes, like, what really is, let's face, an unplayable role. And I think he makes it, it gives just an excellent performance and completely grounds the movie when it goes completely bonkers. But as we know, I mean, Shyamalan is the third, he plays the third biggest role in the movie. He plays the man who writes the book that changed the history of humanity and that's a direct quote from the film yeah, and, here, and here's yeah. my real problem with it was that all the other tenants were filled with such great character actors he couldn't have picked someone else like, like how jeffrey wright's one of the actors in the how film. in the world do you not think this might be a bad idea yeah and uh, wasn't there a scene with a critic or something that i liked the like, critic scene honestly i thought it was pretty funny what, what, what was when the critic gets oh the critic that's right that was another thing that the movie critics like hated this movie because they thought that Shyamalan was making fun of them and yeah because there's a movie oh, critic yeah, character it was but it was funny I thought it was funny but apparently like you know that's like one of the reasons this movie got such bad reviews it shows that critics really don't have a sense of humor about themselves I do but apparently my colleagues don't yeah what, but, what did you uh, think of this film Ethan yeah Honestly, I didn't hate it. I thought it was pretty funny. And uh, cinematography it by Christopher Doyle, one of the best DPs in the world. So. Yeah. yeah. I think it, I'll defend it to a point because it's a fun fantasy film, I think. I mean, this is his fantasy film overall. Yeah. And yeah. you have the whole the story behind it that, you know, this is the story he told his kids at night. And right. It was, it was even in the, in, the, in the trailer. They said it was a bedtime story of a fable, a Shyamalan fable. And I, I really don't hate it either. I, will, I actually don't mind this movie at all. Now the next one's a whole other story, but no, in the water, I think it isn't the abject failure that everyone wants to make it out to be. Now I think there's too many good things in it to call it a total wash. Um, for me, it's a two star movie. Uh, I, the The image of the eyeball and the grass looking up at her and the reflection that has not left me. I think that's a terrific visual. And mm-hmm. as you said, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard is wonderful. Uh, Giamatti's excellent. There's some funny gags that don't really belong in the movie, but it, like the 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 the, the weightlifter. I was thinking of the weightlifter, oh, who was like only one, only one of his arms is like really, really buff, and the other arm isn't. Like, there's, there's some great ideas, but I think this really, this really could have used like either a, a co, a co-writer or just some editing. I mean, I think Shyamalan clearly needed someone else's input, and because he refused it, I mean, I think he really did kind of dig his own grave with this film, unfortunately. Absolutely. All right. Uh, do we have to talk about it? Shall we get loaded for bear here? <laughs> Uh, have, have there been more movies that have had the words career ending and Shyamalan than had for The Happening? It's strange, too, because it made $60 million. It was actually a success because it didn't cost. It cost like less than half of that to make. Well, so. I wonder why you didn't have to worry about special effects. You just had to pay for a wind machine. <sighs> a Marky Mark film. 
No, no, no. We oh, can't believe. Hey, we can't hey, believe. No, no, hey, no, no, guys. Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, guys. What? What's going on? We're all going to die in a minute, but let me go ahead and use the, the, the scientific method. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame it. I don't blame it. Solely I don't feet. blame him because you know what I mean? And He's miscast. He's playing a science teacher. This is a role for Jeff Goldblum. This is not a role for Mark Wahlberg. This is, you and, know. And uh, Zoe. Zoe Deschanel. She's, 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 she's brutal. brutal. Yeah, thank you. Brutal in this film. I think film. everyone's yeah. in that brutal in that movie. And that's why I don't blame any of the oh. actors for that film. No, weirdly enough, John Leguizamo oh is my gosh. It. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. John Leguizamo? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's... Terrible in Super Mario Brothers, but he's good in The Happening. Yeah. I will say there's one scene in The Happening that is brilliant, and I will defend to the end, and that's the opening scene with the gun. How everyone keeps killing themselves and dropping the gun, and it's just I thought it was a very powerful and well done shot. It's a well, yeah, it's a well staged shot. I'll give you that, but for me, it just it felt so over directed. Like so many scenes in this film, it just felt like it was just trying too hard. Maybe I was just looking for something nice to say about the happening. Well, you know, there there are nice things to be said. I mean, like you like we talked about the James Newton Howard score for the other Shyamalan films, and I think the music is very good. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I don't hate the idea that he was trying to make like just a, a B movie, but I just think at the same time too, he really wants it to be like this serious thriller, and it just they don't mesh. And it's the, the big wind. <sighs> well, Ebert gave this movie three stars, to which I thought, okay, Ebert's lost it. But I, it's a very well written review, and it makes me think maybe I just took it too seriously or whatnot but i just i can't forgive the movie for the stuff it does like like um uh what's her name betty buckley betty buckley it's like one of the great broadway actresses you know she she played grisabella the glamour cat in the original run of cats but but beyond that she's a brilliant actress take my word for it anyway betty buckley plays the woman who they encounter late in the film the one who like the lady in the house yeah the crazy old lady and like the way she plays the character, the way the scene is directed, the dialogue, it just doesn't feel like it's meshing at all. And then when you get to the end of the movie where she's bashing her head against the house, it just, I couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. Like, you know, and it, it didn't help that I saw this at a screening where we had to sign confidentiality forms uh, not to reveal the secrets I of this movie. Yeah, yeah I called That's you. the only time you've ever had to do that, isn't it? Uh, yeah, no. to actually sign something. I actually had one other experience. Yeah, I don't know if I should say this, but yeah, for uh, for the Joaquin Phoenix movie, we had to sign something. Okay. Yeah, that we wouldn't talk about it till the day it opened. But anyway, but yeah, I had to sign something for uh, for the happening, essentially promising that I would not give away the secrets of this movie. And halfway through the through the screening, uh, Reggie McDaniel, our great the great late Reggie McDaniel, our, our favorite Denver movie critic, he started laughing and he essentially opened the, the floodgates. And <laughs> by the end of the screening, I mean, you'd think we were watching The Hangover. We were just in hysterics. We were all laughing loudly and openly. And it was just a disaster. I, 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 I thought it was depressingly bad. I really did. <laughs> I think that's enough we can say about that. We, we, we don't need to beat the dead horse. Well, you know, it's, it's just to me, it's amazing that this dead horse, you know, that it, it did as well as it did and that, you know, that there are, there are critics that actually like the film. I don't know. Like, it, it, I seriously do wonder if I just, if I need to see it again or whatnot, but I just, I can't bring myself to watch this again. I have again. better things to do, like alphabetize my shoelace collection by color. Hmm. That is an interesting idea. Interesting visual. Yeah. It like, like, belongs like in a Todd Salons film. I like that. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Well, this summer, Shyamalan came back. And I got to say, like, I have not seen The Last Airbender yet. I don't yet. think any of us have. And no. and I'm, I'm going to. I will see it. And rather than just, like, pick on what we know 
everybody's talked I'd about. I'd almost rather just skip this movie, honestly. Well, I I will see it, and I'll definitely talk no, to you. No, no, I mean talk, talk about, about it. it right now because it's something we haven't seen. I, I really don't want to. Rather than write off Shaman completely, I do want to point out that this, to me, just sounds like a really bad form of synergy. It just doesn't sound like something he should have done anyway. I think this is, you know, he's taken a big studio film produced by Steven Spielberg with like a $150 million budget and taking on, you know, an anime TV show that like, let's face it, it's just one of these shows that probably couldn't have made a good movie anyway. Really? Oh, I've seen some of the TV show. I would beg to differ pretty significantly. This is just, it's kind of silly. It just doesn't seem like this could possibly work. And that's the thing. It should be a fun action film for kids. That's really what it should be. Not where he changes the names of people. Well, that's not how it's pronounced. Well, this isn't a Japanese you know, series. This is actually produced completely in America. Is there an audience for this, though? Oh, yeah. There was no audience for Speed Racer, which which was more well-known. How much did Lost Airbender make at the box office? $130 million. And that's everyone right. who saw it hating it. Right. Imagine if it had been a good movie, it would have done gangbusters. I just can't see this working, though. To me, anime just does, does not work as, as a film. I mean, it's one thing if you're going to do certain moments in, like, you know, Scott Pilgrim, or if you're going to do, you know, moments in, what, Mortal Kombat. But it just it doesn't seem like this particular type of storytelling would work for a mainstream Hollywood summer movie. I, and I, done by a white director with an all-white cast, but, you know... I just I can't see this working you know it's one thing if like I don't know Ang Lee did it or John Woo but like you know it's on Netflix watch instantly you should watch the show some it actually is pretty darn well, good. Well, no, 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 and, and, and I don't I, and I don't doubt that it's a great TV show. I just don't think this would translate to a to a good film. I, and I would beg to differ somewhat because okay. it does have some some over the top visuals, but it's not you know obscene. It's not like we're watching Akira, you know, where it's just this cyberpunk world that's so overwhelming that how in the world can you possibly put this on film I can see Akira working though because to me it's 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 Japanese Blade Runner I could see that working as a film this has more and has imagery than that even and this has a great narrative I think it's got a good narrative but to me it's so wacky and weird and you know it's like it's like Cowboy Bebop the mu- the movie like I can't see that really working oh, I really can't I, and, I, Fossey, and I yep from what I've heard about the movie it's just really boring that's what I've heard. It's just boring. Like, I don't know. I haven't heard people say, oh, it didn't translate. I've just heard it's boring. Well, so, and most people were know. said that it wasn't faithful, and that was most the reason why it was boring. Like, the visual, you know, Pete, the one thing I've heard people say that were pretty good who didn't have to see it in 3D were that the visuals were actually pretty decent. Hmm. That's right. It wasn't 3D. It's pro- another reason that it probably made $130 yeah. million. But yeah, I, I'm. It just doesn't. It never felt like a proper connection to me. Like when they first announced that he was doing it, I just thought that doesn't. That doesn't sound like it, it's going to work in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it was like the same thing when when Spielberg said he was going to do the the terminal. It's like that is an idea that would work maybe as a small little indie film, but but you know, for an eighty million dollar budget with Tom Hanks, that's there's no way people are going to go for that. Yeah, and they didn't. Yeah, rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I saw Devil, yes, and I, and I will like, end it. And I like Devil. Um, Devil, of course, was not written um, specifically by Shyamalan. He came up with the story. The screenplay was by the same guy. I can't remember his name. He, came, he wrote uh, Hard Candy. Um, cool. And Devil was directed by the gentleman who came up with the quarantine, with Quarantine, the remake of Wreck. Um, Devil. The problem with Devil is that you know, bottom line, I mean, it's a really, really silly film. <laughs> And it's it's definitely creepy, no question. But it's not like hardcore scary. Um, on the other hand, I think it's a great B movie, a 
a really good B movie. Um, the performances are all over the map, and some of the performances are downright bad. But you know, it's a B film; it works, and I think it really does feel kind of like the Twilight Zone sort of film that that Shyamalan set out to do. And uh, the movie really does play fair. You're waiting for some kind of cop out cheat of a twist, but no, they really do stick to the premise of like one of these people is the devil. And the movie really does, I thought, really surprise you with who that is. Um, so it's well constructed, very well made for what it is. Uh, one of the best opening credit sequences of the year, which I won't spoil because it's really, really clever and unsurprising. Um, I think this is a good idea for him. I think I think this is I think it's a very promising idea, and I and I hope that he does actually get to finish this trilogy of Night Chronicle films that he proposed. Do you think this this lends credence to the theory that a lot of people have, and I would probably subscribe to it myself, that Shyamalan? I, I agree. He's not you know uh, he he can't. It's not that he can't pull out of the tailspin. But he's going to have to have some help, and he, this to this point, he hasn't been willing to take help from people. He hasn't had anyone help him with the writing. He hasn't anyone had anyone help him with the directing. It's I've got to do it all. Could this be kind of the sign, the start of him kind of letting go of the reins a little bit? Do you think? Yeah, because I think this is a movie he could have directed, and if he had directed this film, I think people would say it was a return to form. I really do. Um, you know, instead of from the mind of M Night Shyamalan, which I think you know caused a lot of people to snicker. <laughs> well, I, and, I'm I'm going to say, well, do you think? When he makes another movie, his name will ever be used ever again as a promotional material. How yeah. how's Devil done at the box office so far? Not very well, not very well. But you know, it, it's a small movie. It is, but how many people have we talked to, or heard online, or wherever, have been like, "This looks so good," until you see his name come up, and then everyone busts up laughing. Having it called the Night Chronicles, that's enough, I think. I think it would have been. I mean, I think we can't overlook the fact that it opened up against the town and you know, and Wall Street. I think because there are a lot of other adult options, and because it's a little too early still for a Halloween movie, I think the timing for the film is wrong, frankly. Because um, I think they promoted it just fine, and and you know, obviously, The Last Airbender didn't scare people away from the mind of M Night Shyamalan. Um, I don't know. I I just. I, I, because, like, again, like, we don't know the guy personally, so no. we, don't, we don't know what's going on with him. And for all I know, like, he got a bum's rush with, with the last two movies he made. But the fact that he is the writer, producer, and director of the last two films that he directed makes me think that, yeah, he definitely needs a bit of career direction. He needs to step back. He needs to do more films that he's where he's the writer and the creator. Like, for example, Steven Spielberg Presents. Do that kind of thing that Spielberg did. Yep. As opposed to, you know, have to... I mean, even if he... I, I, I'm not rooting against Shyamalan. I want to see her for if, if he makes another Unbreakable Sixth Sense, even Signs, I'd say, I am in line. I will be there again. But he has to get back to that form, and, and I don't know that he's pulled out of the tailspin yet. But this could be the first sign. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like him to stick to his guns, too, because I know at one point he was talking about making a movie based on the Book of Pi, which is this best-selling book. And it, but it, he has stuck to his guns, and that's what he got him into trouble in the first place. Well, you know, like, I, I think, you know... It's really, almost the George Lucas syndrome. You listen. You listen to your own hype so much that you don't listen to what anyone else says, and we get Indiana Jones for it. Well, I mean that's that's a different deal though, because I, I really feel like Lucas. He built an empire. I mean, it is a different story. But. I think Shyamalan is young enough to realize that there's a problem, that there's a disconnect. And, you know, frankly, if he makes more bombs like The Last Airbender, he's not going to have another chance. George Lucas will be able to fund his movies forever. Well, yeah. You know, Shyamalan, he needs a studio. You know, Lucas is almost like Howard Hughes. He has so much power and so much money that he could remake all the Star Wars movies tonight, right now, from scratch. With puppets. And and not lose a cent. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. What, do you, what do you think, Ethan? To be honest, I feel a little, I feel kind of bad for the guy. I just, 
I don't know. It's like a few bad movies. It's like, I think you said this, if it said, like, from the mind of Michael Bay, no one would boo. It's like, that's so unfair. Even, like, look at Wes Craven. Like, Wes Craven, some great movies, but, like, every second movie he makes is usually kind of a dud. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of unfair. I totally agree. And it it is this really unfair thing where we put so much on a director's film and we don't kind of allow them just to kind of breathe in the filmography. I mean... You know, like like it's it's so much like well, how how is how is uh, Shutter Island compared to Raging Bull, you know, and how is it compared to Casino and, and Goodfellas? It's like, well, it, of course it's not as good as those films. I mean, let it let it breathe. And I I you know I think there's really something to be said for that as opposed to like every film this filmmaker makes, like we have to jump on it and, and rip it apart and, and establish if it's better than this or better than that. It's like you know right now there's a lot of talk that John Carpenter's new film, The War, that it's not I mean, it's not Halloween. Well, of course it's not Halloween. Yeah. You know, let's 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 look at it and you know and, and be able to judge it on its own merits as opposed to like well is it. You know, is, is every Shyamalan movie as good as The Sixth Sense? And 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 maybe that's one of the problems too, because maybe, frankly, he's just he's he's believing his own hype, and he's not allowing himself to kind of step back and really search his own creativity as a as a director, as opposed to I need to succeed, I need to knock him out of the ballpark, because that worked for The Sixth Sense, but obviously for The Happening, it didn't happen. No, no, and I, you know, I'm willing to let him breathe because you know what, I did enjoy Lady in the Water. I'm not afraid to say it. I will defend it to a point. Yes, it's you know, it is a, a respectful, an, an admirable failure if you want to call it that, but it still has moments of brilliance. But when, you know, like you said, he does buy, like I said, he's bought into the hype to such a point that, you know, you'd think he's, he cast himself, you know, like I, like we said, as the man who changes the universe. And it's like, what kind of ego has built that you would cast yourself in that role and not think there could possibly be a problem with it? Right, and that people would say, hmm, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping he pulls out. I really do. Me too, me too, because, yeah, as Ethan pointed out, I mean, like, you know. He is far from the worst American filmmaker out there. And for Pete's sake, if anybody deserves to have their name booed when they show it in a trailer, it's not this guy. Yeah, yeah. That would be Aaron Scissors. Oh, oh, come on. Paul Paul W.S. Anderson, Michael Bay. Oh, yeah, no, uh, no, 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 no. The, the, I was going to say the Freeberg and Seltzer. Yeah, those guys. I mean, I mean, we could make a list of like these oh, yeah. untalented hacks who like put out movies. Dominic Sena, guys who just put out these heartless, soulless, witless movies every year. I mean, Shyamalan, if nothing else, I mean, he, you can really put him in the Otero theory because like when you're watching one of his movies you know it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie they feel like Fair they're enough. made by they feel and look like they're made by the same guy alright cool do you have any parting words at all Ethan or shall we move on not on really okay fair enough alright well let's go ahead and talk about what's hitting theaters this weekend uh, one of one of the most talked about and, and already one of the most acclaimed films of the year we'll, we'll see how it holds up and it, real question if audiences are going to love this film which is very talky and very intelligent <laughs> again will they like the intelligent movie or are they going to are they going to wait for National Treasure 3? In any case, David Fincher's new film opens this is uh, the, the, the highly touted long awaited The Social Network the social network can't um, wait for the social network can't wait for the yeah likewise uh, Matt Reeves' remake of Let the Right One In called Let Me In starring Elias oh, Coteus I, I should mention uh, I had a chance to go to a screening of that this past Wednesday but I slept in and missed it dun 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 <laughs> well I saw it and we could talk about it when we're when we're done recording um, that was for Ethan not you oh okay. for Ethan <laughs> a bladed want one uh, Case Thirty Nine, a movie made four years ago, starring Reese Wither, no, Reese, no, uh, Renee Zellweger. Sorry, Renee Zellweger. Zelly, Zelly, and also Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper did this 
right after the wedding singer and right around the time that he was making uh midnight meat train this is wedding back singer? when he was a wedding planner i mean crashers wedding crashers wedding crashers yeah i'm like <laughs> he wasn't in the wedding singer that i remember that's right sorry all these wedding movies yeah this is when bradley cooper was like doing horror films you know all right and i just saw wedding crashers recently too that was pretty interesting yeah very good good times Opening in limited release, uh, Hatchet 2 with Daniel Harris. I still haven't seen Hatchet 1. I need to see Hatchet 1. And then, I hate this title because, you know what, I, I don't want people to make this association between me and this movie, but uh, there's a movie called Barry Monday about a guy who gets his nuts chopped off. <laughs> <laughs> it stars Patrick Wilson and Judy Greer. Uh, I love them both. And you know what, I hope it's a great film, but... Um, yeah, you know, there aren't enough movies with the word Barry in the title, and frankly, no one saw Barry Lyndon, so I really don't want people to start calling me Barry Monday, so. There you go. All right, then. I feel the mockery just building. All right. All right. And, and then, then uh, on DVD next on DVD, week. Um, one of the most anticipated DVD releases oh, of the last five years. It's only Blu-ray, not DVD. Well, hey, Blu-ray, that's the way to go. I don't care, yeah. Um, we've been talking about this forever. Josh was talking about this forever. I mean, this is this is one of the big ones. The Grindhouse Experience is finally coming to DVD. So this is Blu-ray, Def- Blu-ray, Blu-ray, Sorry, not I DVD. Keep saying, keep saying Blu-ray. Oddly enough, I don't know why, but yeah. Okay, so it's on Blu-ray, and this is Death Proof. This is Planet Terror. These are the trailers. Extended the, trailers with commentary. With commentary. I mean, this is everything you wanted three years ago, back in 2007. This is this is it. So. It's going to be a good time. We're finally oh, getting it. Also being released, uh, Bones Season 5, uh, Disney's Beauty and the Beast, likely one of the greatest, if not the greatest, animated masterpiece from the Disney studio. And I believe we're going to have a, a, actually an interview related to Beauty and the Beast coming up this week. Stay tuned. Yes. Um, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist in both the theatrical version and the version... You never saw in theater. Never the one saw that everyone, like All the Exorcist <laughs> ha- fans hate. Can't stand because of the additions and the things they take out. Um, the remake of The Karate Kid, one of the surprise hits this summer with uh, Jackie Chan. Um, what else we got? Let's see. The remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street, one of the worst films of the year. My gosh, what a stinker. Starring Jackie Earl Haley, <laughs> pretending to be Freddy Krueger, but looking like like the guy from Sling Blade and sounding like him too and looking like a Slim Jim. My gosh, what a bad movie, bad performance. Wow. Um, Don't hold back, dude. I hate that film. Um, a very good film that doesn't, you know, if this was a Shyamalan film, I think we'd say, you know, it kind of, it kind of fouls up the ending, but you know, it very, this is, I, I compare this more to Sunshine. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Splice with Adrian Brody and, and Sarah Polly. Very, very admirable sci-fi horror film. Not bad. Yeah. Um, Caprica season 1.0. Which, okay. okay. Battlestar, the prequel. <laughs> That's right. It, 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 it adheres to the four-episode rule, which is it gets really good by episode four. You have to stomach the first three, and then by four, it's like, oh, this isn't bad. Okay, one of those shows. Uh, Treasures of Sierra Madre, of course, the John Huston masterpiece with uh, with Humphrey Bogart. Classic, classic film. Um, Troll 2. Arguably the worst film ever made. No, it's not as bad as Kangaroo Jack, really. I'd rather not as watch bad as the room. I'd rather watch Troll Two than Kangaroo Jack again, frankly. Um, Tom Six is much discussed for some reason because frankly we're kind of bored, I guess. Uh, the human centipede. You know who you are. And then uh How's film- going, Ethan? Hey. Do you want to weigh in brought, on this film? Actually, um I brought it up recently at a party that I'd seen that I think a girl lost a lot of interest after a, uh <laughs> After admitting to that, <laughs> yeah. Well, you heard about the, the the full sequence coming up, right? Oh yeah, yeah. With a sixteen like 12, person, 12, right? I thought is there a twelve or sixteen? Yeah, 
Damn. Per- person human centipede which well marty made a funny joke about it because uh, i asked him if he'd seen it and he said that you know it's playing all over la and he think he thought about it because he knew what it was about he's like this movie gives me a great idea what to be for halloween oh, oh. <laughs> and then finally our easy easy crap title of the week the fact this is one of the biggest flops of last year it's like one of the biggest flops to ever have like a wide opening this movie Years in the making, um, among the voice talent, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, the animated sci-fi thriller, no, not Battle for Terror, the other one that you've never heard of, Delgo. There you go. You missed one. What I miss? We, we, we had Search with Sierra Madre, but we've also got, it, it's a it's a bogey weekend. We've also got the Maltese Falcon coming, too. Oh, wow. Maltese Falcon. Both on DVD and Blu-ray, which should be great. cool. Great. Yes, yes. Great film. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about, really? Did anybody send us anything? No, that's okay. Okay. It was musical. So we, we got our email preventively, preemptively. So I'm sure we'll get some, some Shyamalan emails. It'll be all good. I did get one email, a really cool email from a, from a gentleman. Forgive me. His name is his, his name is skipping me. I think his name is Mark, I think. <laughs> oh, Mark Smith? Yes. Yes. He sent me a really nice email. I, I wrote him back. He sent me a really nice email wanting to know if uh, – about the merit of like bad films or like failed films are they worth exploring and I and I sent him an email back talking about like one of my favorite bad movies uh, Dan Aykroyd's film Nothing But Trouble how that film despite the fact that it does not work and it makes all these mistakes there's all these things about the movie that are worth exploring and looking at because it is an interesting failure and he was talking about William Friedkin's film Cruising and wanted to know what, what we thought about it and, and I kind of said you know I've, I've never liked Cruising but it is interesting for the mistakes it makes and it's certainly a movie I would talk about in a film class because it's one of the earliest films to depict homosexual lifestyles although of course it being the 80s it depicts I've actually it. got it right here yeah it depicts yeah go ahead. Shall, shall I just go ahead and read it yeah sure sorry Mark I'm, I'm a slacker for having sorry, this sorry Mark Give me. No, that's my bad, because I should have had that ready to go. My bad. And so, uh, hey guys, Mark here, and I have a question mainly for Barry, but I want everyone's input. I have a dilemma because there are certain films that are not entirely successful or, or even good, but certain aspects of them provide great thought for after or just really good discussion. Movies that come to mind are William Friedkin's Cruising, Sinatra's The Detective, and more recent fare like Antichrist and Funny Games. My question is, does this make them successful movies if they have you thinking about them afterwards, and are they worth showing to a film class or recommending them to your friends for this alone? What do you think specifically of the film Cruising? Can you think of any other examples of this? I know it has no real topic, but it was something I was thinking about the other day. Anyways, keep up the great work and keep finding those awesome deals. Dave, your biggest fan, Mark. And I do have another deal to talk about, So, but you, we'll, we'll talk about this first. You remember uh, You remember how in Police Academy, whenever like the bad guys would go in the wrong door and it's the Blue Oyster Club and there would always be these homosexuals dressed like you know, like the village people and that, that tango song would come on and they would start dancing? That's Cruising's attitude towards gay people. This is the 80s back when you know Hollywood knew how to deal with homosexuality in film. So like Cruising, Pacino goes under world into the S&M gay scene and like you'd swear every gay man in America was dressed like um, village oh, people well what's Mr. Garrison's lover in, in South Park <laughs> Mr. Slave Mr. Slave like every yeah. every gay man in New York so is dressed, dressed like, like, the like Mr. Slave yeah in, in cruising and, and for that reason I don't like the film because it's a very dated movie and it's a pretty ugly film too but but uh, you know Pacino you can't you know Pacino it's like even in bad movies Pacino is still like this really compelling actor but um, no, I think this is a, this is a really good question because because I consider that film a failure. You also mentioned Mark. You also mentioned Hanukkah's uh, Funny Games, which I think is a very good film. I think the film is disturbing. I will never watch it again. Um, and I can't say it's a film I would show to more than 
No, I would never show it to anybody. Who are we kidding? But um, I think that is definitely a movie worth noting because, yes, it certainly does leave you thinking. It definitely does leave you talking. And, you know, you mentioned Antichrist, and I mentioned this in the email I sent back to you. I don't think Antichrist is a good movie at all, frankly. But it is certainly a movie that was – it's not a stupid film. A lot of thought went into it, and I think there are a lot of themes and ideas that Von Trier has in that movie that are worth discussing, even though if I don't think – personally, I don't think the movie is worth watching to get to those themes. All right, then. Should I just get to my deal, then? Crickets. Yes. Okay. This is not movie-related, but it is Scott Pilgrim-related. Um, <laughs> well, we got we to gotta give some Scott Pilgrim. Well, you know, I well, and I found another deal that I'm kind of kicking myself. I'm, I'm not going to do it just because it's just too much money. But if you remember Warner Brothers uh, Insider, the WB Insider, yeah. you go to WBShop.com, and all their DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff are 25% off if you're a member. Plus, if you go over 100 bucks, you get 20 bucks off. So I figured out I could get Supernatural Seasons 1 and 5 on Blu-ray, Sherlock on Blu-ray. I have to talk about Sherlock as well. And, like, Run Fat Boy Run on Blu-ray for, like, 85 bucks. Yeah, I'd, I'd only put Run Fat Boy on because I could break the 100 and get the 20 bucks off. Gotcha. But it was, like, 20 bucks more on Amazon at least. So hmm. it's a pretty good deal. Uh, but, no, you can actually, right now, I ordered all six volumes of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World or the Scott Pilgrim series, whatever, for, like, 23 bucks. Oh, this they, is for the entire graphic novels. Yes, all the graphic novels. Cool. Which, if you go into Barnes and Noble or Borders, they're 12, 12 13 bucks a piece. So, yeah. screaming deal. It's a good deal. Yes, and finally, can I talk about Sherlock real quick? Yeah, of course. Because holy crap, the, the first season came out. It's three whole episodes. Each one's an hour and a half long, but it is glorious in every way, shape, and form. This may be my favorite iteration of Sherlock Holmes to date. It puts the movie to shame, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's set in present day as opposed to you know going with a period piece but it works very well the guy that got to play Sherlock is brilliant because he shows he does have some physicality to him here and there but he's more the the brains and they had um, shoot Martin Freeman plays Watson who you know him as Tim in the British version of The Office he was in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy he plays a great Watson because he's not just this bumbling idiot he's actually an army doctor and in the original series hey guess what he got injured in Afghanistan that made that a really easy translation. So the story, essentially they're based off of current Holmes stories and reworked them a little bit to work into the current day, but it is so good. Each episode's about an hour and a half long, and it's well worth it. They make use of every single minute of it. Some fans weren't a big fan of how they revealed Moriarty. I'm not going to say how it happens. I thought it was perfectly in character and a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, it's going to be airing in, on PBS in the U.S. in late October, I think, as part of their Master Series. Okay. So, yeah. Really good stuff while we're checking out. Excellent. Ethan, I had a quick question for you. Did you want to weigh in on Mark's question? Uh, like, Can you think of, like, of, a, of a failure or a movie that doesn't work that's still interesting or thought-provoking or worth exploring? Oh, man. like I can think of tons, but just I need to prepare. Freddy got figured because the one that always for me like I always go to nothing but trouble for me like there's so many things that about that movie that are interesting even though it's a bad film that doesn't necessarily work that's the one I always go to I think Anne Lee's The Hulk's worth bringing up oh perfect example I love that film I do too but it's it's a a troubled film I can oh actually I just thought of one speaking of Oliver Stone Alexander there you go that's a good example there you go yeah definitely there's brilliance in that film even though the film doesn't totally work. All right, then. Are you ever going to watch that one, Dave? Alexander? Yeah. I probably will at some point, yeah. yeah. I'm just not to that point in the filmography yet. I'm not going to rewatch Natural Born Killers just because I don't have any need to. And I doubt I'll probably revisit U-Turn because it was good and I know it, so 
Yeah. I'm actually going to watch Natural Born Killers. I'm writing a thesis paper for my graduate studies right now about violence in films. And, well, and that go. movie comes up all the time. Like, I haven't seen it since the day it opened up in 94. So I feel like I need to go back and experience that nightmare again. But uh, there you go. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, next week should be an interesting episode. I don't even remember what we're talking about, but I do know we have a special guest lined up. Yep. Uh, I don't know if we want to reveal him. Yeah, yet sure. Martin's okay. going to be on. Yeah. yeah. The, the director of Salivate is coming to Colorado Springs. So we're going to. He's coming out to do a uh, to do a screening at UCCS. screening Q and A at yeah, my university. Yeah, the film club invited him, and uh, they're enthusiastic about him coming. And of course, so am I. I'm so thrilled that you know my brother gets to come out here from L.A. and and uh, talk about his experiences as an independent filmmaker and talk about his his great vampire movie. So, if those of you who are listening, if this if this episode hits in time, uh, Friday night. Uh, Friday, October the second at UCCS in the Dwyer Theater. Uh, we'll, uh, it's about about. Uh, so it's Friday night. I thought it was Saturday night. Saturday night. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, Saturday, October the 2nd. Sorry, because, yeah, October 1st is Friday, right? So October the 2nd, Saturday night at the Dwyer Theater at UCCS. I think we're starting about 6, 6.30. Uh, please come. Okay. Marty will show his film free to the public. Cool. And I forgot, is parking free or is it I believe parking, parking is free, but uh, definitely check on that. Okay, cool. Right on. Well, I guess this is good. Uh, that's good enough for one week. Yeah. It wasn't quite as long as I thought it would be. Well, it's almost two hours, but still, good times. Good, good stuff. Fun times. But until next week, this is Dave. It's Barry. This is Ethan, and I'm thinking about getting tacos tonight. (laughs) What's happening to me? You're becoming less popular? Impossible. Impossible.